2: 40K Stats Center Stat with your host, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon.
3: <coughs> Holy hell, there's like two days until the biggest Warhammer 40K tournament in history, and so we're gonna have the biggest 40k stats center in history. Or your money back. Good thing you didn't pay for it. First thing up, we're gonna do a little meta stats rundown with our man the Falcon fresh off his Psychotic, pathological tour through every single list that has been submitted to the Las Vegas Open. I believe something like seven thousand pages of information. I don't know. I'll uh, let him tell you.
4: I mean, it's twenty two thousand seven hundred.
3: Two thousand seven hundred pages. Bullshit. I'm I'm upset even thinking about it. And then after that, ladies and gentlemen, we've got three. Sorry, count them four. Outstanding interviews with four of the absolute best players in 40K, and I might say for the better interviews in 40K, we've got Nick Natavati, we've got Manny Chima, Matt Morisali from Down Under, and wrapping it all up will be our man Brandon Grant telling us how he's going to do it all with his favorite army, the Astra Militarum. So why don't we segue seamlessly now and let the music fade? Peter.
4: Are you alive? I'm barely alive. I just spent about eight and a half hours driving from my remote hometown in the middle of nowhere to Edmonton, Alberta, in the hopes that I can catch a flight first thing in the morning to Vegas. It's uh, It's been a trip. I spent the last three days, uh, about eight hours a day, hammering through lists, looking for uh, patterns, uh, taking down unit numbers, checking for um, you know faction representation, looking for archetypes. And even uh, doing my best to try and help out those people that may have uh, misunderstood how a list is actually supposed to be built. Sent a 10 or 11 uh, emails out uh, to get some people's lists fixed up so they don't get models pulled at the event. Models pulled and uh, no scarlet lettering of being a cheater. Exactly. Should. That's the whole goal. Because I don't want you, if you're there running your pure, amazing Tau list that you're not trying to copy off of anybody with, and then you chose to run nine units of drones. Um, <laughs> just remember, you can only take three. So yes. Just, But you can give all those other guys two drones apiece and just make up the difference. So just do that, guys. Just go forward. They probably That's went, a good one.
3: They probably went to the Heffelfinger School of List building where you can bring five gallons. Yeah, exactly.
4: Exactly. And there's a few other little ones. Legends, a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot. A handful of people forgot Legends wasn't a thing at LVO, so stuff like that. It should all be cleaned up. I'm not going to say I caught everything, but I caught enough that I think we're going to have a pretty good showing, at least from a list front.
3: All right. Well, we rarely get to do this, so I'm throwing it in.
4: Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds.
2: Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center, courtesy of 40kstats.com. All
3: All right, Pete. Enough with the admin trivia. Let's get to some cold hard facts. Let's look at first the overall shape of things. I did try to paraphrase some frantic uh, messenger uh, messages you sent me yesterday, but let's look at let's look at the faction breakdown here, just uh, from a high level. How is the meta breaking out for the LVO?
4: Um, the meta is, it's a Space Marine meta, just as we expected. Uh, what we're seeing is very uh, very much akin to what we've seen for probably about the last two months across the world in terms of uh, in terms of what's seeing play. About 27% of lists coming to LVO are, are going to be the Adeptus Astartes. Um, and how does, these, and, and
3: literally since... I guess usually you're using the post uh, Iron Hands FAQ as sort of that last, the last benchmark in the meta. Yes. Um, What would the faction, like, what would the, the share of the field be in that stretch?
4: I mean that post iron hands meta it's it's hovered between about 25 and 27. Okay. Um and so some events to get a little higher uh, especially in some very competitive metas and then other events um you we're actually seeing at some smaller GTs is almost no um, marine showings I'm not sure if that's just a a state of the area or perhaps people are kind of getting a little uh, bored of them whatever. Um but yeah, so 25 to 27 has kind of been the the, the where the, the faction has plateaued. Um, we're not seeing much more. Um, what we are seeing is increases in Eldar and Chaos Space Marines um, across the board. Um, but they're not taking from the Marine pool. They're taking it from everybody else.
3: Interesting. So of that Marine pool, how do they break down into, into sub-factions? And that, that, this is Codex Marines too, right?
4: This is Codex. Yeah, I'm not talking about Blood Angels. There are a number of Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Grey Knight players. Everybody has something um unless you're a Warhound Titan. No one brought the Warhound Titan this year. Uh, he had to he's kind of sitting alone, he's a little sad. But, you know, such is life. Um in terms of breakdown, Iron Hands are by far the the biggest uh faction showing. There are 95 uh, Iron Hands players of the 795 people in attendance. Um So, you know, you're looking at about 12% of the meta, almost 13, um, is just Iron Hands alone. Um, I blame Brohammer for that, given, like, essentially their entire team, other than Mark Perry, brought them. Mm -hmm. But that's a whole other thing. Um, Then you have Imperial Fists. They've got 36 Imperial Fist players coming in, bringing that hot and heavy extra damage uh, at the event. Next up, Raven Guard has 32 players in attendance. Um, and then you have ultramarines with twenty six. Wow! Yeah. Oh, oh good ultramarines showing. Um, they always ha- have. They were the most popular pre codex, right? So they've always had a decent amount. Um, White scars have thirteen players. Crimson fists have one. One old guy. What about what about salamanders? Oh, you want to know about salamanders? Salamanders. There are six which is a lot cuz that's more than 0 and we've seen essentially 0 for months now. Uh, basically after the salamander's pack came out, you've seen one, maybe one salamander player every couple of weeks has shown up at a single event. It's kind just uh, so we have 6 which is neat. kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, um, they've they've got some interesting lists. There's a, uh it's a veritable hodgepodge. You know, it's not like a lot of the other factions where you kind of see a template. Um like Raven Guard, you're seeing the Assault Centurion combos, uh, Centurion Devs, uh, Lias Isidon making a big showing at a lot of lists um, at the event for the Raptors with Raven Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultramarines, it's a lot of aggressors, special characters like Marnius Kalgar, uh, Gullyman. Um, so you're getting these kind of like mobile gun lines people are building. Um, the Iron Hands lists are pretty diverse. We're seeing this. Uh, uh, a lot of people going with the Iron Father Pharos list um, with, you know, like 30 to 50 intercessors. Yeah. Uh, basically encircling one or two either untargetable dread—well, sorry, four or five either untargetable or essentially impossible to kill dreadnoughts that just kind of wander up the board and murder stuff. And then they've all taken the apothecary for the 5++ Feel No Pain. Um, Imperial Fists, they're all running just a ton of Intercessor spam, seeing a couple people run flyers, not too much. Uh, but yeah, so there's some, some, some pretty extreme templates from most of the armies, Salamanders, those six lists, all completely different. No one's, no one's figured out what to run with them. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, I think there's a list I saw with about, that brought like a 10 man Terminator Assault Squad. I'm interested to see where that goes.
5: Uh, Well,
4: um, okay,
3: so if we're, if we're talking Terminator Assault Squads, that means it's time for a breathless segue over to something you tried to talk about and I cut you off. Eldar. I think this is the one that I'm most interested in. Um, what are you seeing in, 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 amongst the sort of dominant list builds for Eldar um, that, that are showing up? What are some, what are some chestnuts? Is there a, is there a, a main list build that,
4: that's appeared? Sure. So in terms of like Craftworld Eldar, there's 65 people that are coming with Craftworlds. A lot are uh, relying on kind of the old tried and true methods of um, uh, fire prisms with some kind of flyer spam. There's a good amount of flyer spam. There's probably five or six lists that are straight up nine or ten flyers at the event. Um, so that's definitely going to be a thing you need to look at. Uh, Ray Almada, once again, bringing his nine. Uh, a couple other uh, names that it, uh, Ivan Cho, who's had top showings this year, also bringing out as many flyers as you can possibly fit in the list. Um, so that's one template. The big template, and I think the one most people from a competitive perspective are very interested in, is the uh, Warlocks' uh, Conclave, uh, Skyrunner Conclave. There's 15 lists bringing Skyrunner Conclave, um, some are running them with, uh, like, a lot of Skyweaver jet bikes. You're seeing that as a, as a trick with, like, Jack Harpster, for example, bringing that. And then others are running them with the uh, grotesques, like uh, Chris Blackham using their grotesques as, like, an anvil uh, to hold the board presence while the Skyrunners do their thing, flying around, basically auto-passing every psychic test they can cast and trying to win the game by being these, like, giant beatstick units that are very hard to, uh, to pull off the board.
3: Fantastic. And how many have gone for that, um, you know, efficient shooting Eldar that's not flyer spam? I guess the kind of stuff uh, Colin Sherman's been talking a lot about.
4: Yeah. So I would say the kind of expert crafter with masterful shots combo, you're seeing that quite a bit. Uh, Just let me give me one second. I'll bring it up. Um, I would say we probably had about, instead of saying about, I can just bring it up. There's about 17 lists running that specific combo. Um, So that combo, Expert Crafters with uh, Masterful Shots, a lot of people are at least taking one, if not multiple, at detachments with it. 18 lists, sorry. Um, And and what that brings is um, almost like making Eldar Imperial Fists. So they're extraordinarily accurate because they're rerolling that one hit, one wound per unit. Um, And then they're ignoring cover. Night spinners um, are everywhere at LVO, uh, I think, and and you'll have to cr- uh, give me a second to double-check the number, but I believe there are more night spinners than anything else in the Eldar Codex at the event, with the exception of troops. There's just so many. Um, so just give me two shakes to pop into my other spreadsheet. I'm sorry, folks, for not being super de-duper prepped for this. People are just happy to have you. Don't worry. Oh, oh. So, on my last check, and this was before I uh, kind of went through the last probably 15 or 20 lists to make sure I hadn't made any errors, we're sitting at uh, well over 100 uh, Night Spinners, about 106 Night Spinners, um, over uh, 30, uh, 39, 40 lists. So, about two thirds of all Eldar players are running triple Night Spinner.
3: Turns out uh, Eldar wants that two damage indirect fire.
4: The indirect fire is the big thing, and the fact that on a 6, it's AP-4, it's going to pick up models. It does a lot of work. They're very efficient for their points. Um, so, yeah, they're absolutely everywhere. The only uh, unit that is uh, puts up similar numbers um, that's outside of the the generic is um, Crimson Hunter Exarchs. There's also just over 100 of them. So um, I would uh, say same thing. You're looking at about 35 lists bringing Crimson Hunters, and each one, when they bring them, they're bringing uh, three.
3: Fantastic. So why don't we run it out to the third, I'd say, big uh, contender here, uh, which, of course, is Chaos. And that is obviously a, a pretty broad brush to, to paint with. What are some of the archetypes we're seeing coming
4: out with Chaos? So there's one main archetype, and that's the possessed bomb in terms of uh, like what competitive players are talking a lot about. Um, this is a list that people tried several months ago when Vigil's Ablaze came out and Possessed got a lot of buffs out of it, but it just wasn't quite good enough. They died way too fast was the big problem. You'd get them on the board if they managed to get to combat. I mean, just 20 Possessed are going to do a lot of work, but they, it was almost impossible to get them there. But with the bonuses that Alpha Legion got, word bearers and, and um, Nightlords in the latest uh, Psychic Awakening, Faith and Fury, Um, they've kind of reached that critical mass of buffs where you can probably make at least half the squad survive up the board in most matchups, and that's all you need. Um, It's a very cheap unit. It's like uh, 340, 350 points, depending on how you build it, um, that will wipe another person's army if it gets in. Um, So there's 22 players running possessed bombs, um, and that comes out to um, almost... It's about 370... Uh, possessed are showing up at the event okay. most people are running between 17 and 20 um with, a, with one at least one person deciding to go double possessed bomb just to make sure at least one of them makes it um, but yeah it's a really cool build it's kind of like the the build you're seeing tj lanagan run it austin wingfield's got it in there alex harrison i mean i could go on jim vessel uh, a lot of the bigger chaos names this is what they've turned to the other list that had been seeing a lot of talk but has isn't seeing maybe as much play as uh, people would have thought is the um, Corn Lord of Skulls. So a lot of people after Chapter Approved got really into the Corn Lord of Skulls as being like the list that's going to do a ton of work uh, because they re- became so cheap.
3: Now, um, I, I got to ask you, on, on Chapter Tactics, this kind of got downplayed a little bit. But in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know, man. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of a lot of junk you can layer on there. Off the top of your head, can you think of some of the stuff you can juice a Lord of Skulls with just because of their keywords?
4: Um, it's really not what you can juice them with. It's it's more the fact that like you still have enough points to take um like Daredeo Dreadnoughts with them or Drakes or other things. Um, and that's what you're seeing with these lists. You're not seeing a lot of people trying to buff the their Lords of Skulls. They're letting them do all the work and just putting you know um chaff or quote unquote distraction current effects is in the way um, so there's seven people running triple lord of skulls um there're going to be to about 23 um lord of skulls lists in attendance uh, uh, 23 lord of skulls in attendance at the event um so it'll be interesting to see how they do. In terms of names, I mean, Don Hooson's always going to be the big one that people will turn to when they look at this list, and everybody's, uh, I shouldn't say everybody, everybody that follows Chaos Space Marines on Reddit is going to copy Don Hooson's list in the future because that's just how this works.
3: Is there anyone repping Renegade Knights that uh, maybe came out with some good tech?
4: Um, in terms of uh, the Renegade Night list, there are a ton, and the thing about Renegade Nights is coming into this event They're one of the only factions other than Eldar that actually have a positive uh, win rate across the board against Space Marines. Mm. Um, At least in the kind of last couple of months after the uh, Psychic Awakening books uh, came into effect. Uh, They've got like a 53, 54% win rate against most Marine lists. Um, And what we're basically seeing with them is double or triple Knight to Spoiler. With uh, Armager moiraxes or sorry war dog moiraxes for the the chaos side because those moiraxes add a lot of uh, low grade firepower to the list, and the despoilers are almost exclusively running double thermal uh, cannons because they're just so efficient. Right. You are seeing a few lists that are going with uh, like the old uh, what kind of Kenny Boucher ran at SoCal this year with like triple Lord Discordant on top of triple uh, Knight Despoiler. Huh. Not not sure if that's too elite or not. Yeah um well it'll be fun and quick yeah, for sure it'll kill it'll either kill a lot of stuff or die real fast
3: real easy on the back okay very yeah. cool so uh, just to wrap up this segment before we get on to the uh the big names that we've we've got some nice interviews with um anything catch your eye like any any list or design or something that you're excited to follow in our insane 36 hours of coverage
4: on the show sure. so um. I'm not sure how well this list is going to do, but I'm super excited about it. Um, only one player is running any of the orc buggies, because they're terrible. They're just... I mean, the scrap jet maybe is okay. There is one player, one champion, one hero. Uh, we'll call him hero of the people, who is running only orc buggies. Who is and that? I just... I just want to see it. Like, I want to see what happens when someone only runs, like, 27 orc buggies and tries to see what's going to happen. Who is it? His name. Are you ready? Yes. It's Chris Fisher. No, no, who he is. Chris Fisher. You, Chris Fisher? If you are listening to this, Chris Fisher, I want you to know, I really hope this isn't a joke list that you put in because you're not actually attending the event, (laughs) like some people do, Um, and that you actually are there, because I would love to see... Your twenty-seven orc buggies just flying around, getting shot up by whoever. But if you go even like one and five at the event, I'll buy you a beer for sure. Oh, Chris that, Fisher's going
3: two and five at least. Two and five? Yeah, he's going to the ghost he, round with he's the going losing to the ghost round.
4: As, with a as losing two record? And four? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens, right? Mathematically, there could be. No, that's not possible. No, it's not possible.
3: Uh, I just can't do math on the fly. That's okay. Um, nope. Favorite storyline that you're looking forward to seeing unfold before our very eyes.
4: Favorite storyline going to LVO. I am going to have to say it's going to be um, how the top three play out. I'm really curious to see if anyone's going to be able to top Richard Siegler after uh, the points from Atlanta open came in. He's, Barely got a lead on Jim Vessel, but a lot of people have tossed Jim Vessel to the to the trash because his main list got got thrashed to pieces, and he's been kind of scrambling to to make something new work. But he mm-hmm. hasn't had a lot of reps. Um, so yeah, that's going to be interesting to me. Does someone like John Lennon leap uh, leapfrog Siegler do, if Siegler doesn't perform? I mean, this is his first event running Iron Hands. Um, so that there's that. But I mean, these Brohammer guys, they put in work when they, when they make these lists. So I think that's my big one is does somebody get the points to, to leapfrog Siegler and who is it?
3: Why not? Why not pick the biggest possible story at the biggest possible event? I love it. Uh, my, my personal uh, pick is will the uh, stream that I have been saying is going to happen actually happen. And I'm excited to say it looks like it will, and you can find it at 40 K stat center on Twitch. We've actually created that account um and it is uh, it is ready to go there we should have um uh, excellent coverage from the floor supporting what our good friends Reese and Frankie will be covering on the main table on the GW stream I'm hoping to even be able to maybe do picture in picture I don't know maybe it'll we'll
4: be do. super cool I mean we did just add a new um oh my goodness a new How could I guest this? host right yeah L- literally today yesterday Yesterday, whenever he bought that plane ticket after you like peer pressured him for about three minutes on uh, it, MSN Messenger,
3: it was perhaps the fastest and like easiest fold I've ever seen to buy a cross continent plane ticket. It was like, I, Hey, Tony, why don't, why don't you come to the LVO? And
4: then he, came. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So folks, just so, in ca- so you understand. So right now our team consists of myself, the Falcon, who's going to be running a camera on the floor trying to find the best games for you guys to watch on the secondary stream uh, while Frankie and Reese do his thing. We're going to have in a booth. I don't know where the booth's going to be. Maybe in the bathroom. We'll make it work. Actually, uh,
3: uh, it's projected to be next to the bathrooms. So... Uh...
4: Even better. Even better. (laughs) Uh, So, And that's going to be with Adam Camilleri, the mouth from the absolute furthest possible south uh, from the Down Under Network slash now Art of War Network. Um, And we've got Paul Murphy on there from Forge the Narrative. Mouth from a different south. From a different south. Also providing just like the best possible coverage we can. Val's up in some weird land running a drone. He's going to be making sure that when systems go down, he fixes them. He may do some charismatic interviews. We don't know. And now we've got Tony Pierce, the man, the myth, the legend, also known as – the Panda Pants over on Reddit. If you uh, follow Sir Panda Pants over on Reddit, he's the guy that provides you with all the juicy week-to-week tournament coverage either via 40kstats.com or just his hard work gathering those lists for you guys. Uh, He's a great guy. He's one of our best friends. He's one of the um, backup co-hosts whenever Val or I get way too sick to do this job. Um, He's just an excellent folk, and he just on a whim bought a ticket to LVO just to help us out. So he'll be there, he'll be helping with uh, grabbing people for interviews, we may even get him on a mic. He is by far the handsomest of all five of us, Um, so he probably is going to get as much camera time as we can get him.
3: You know, as the least knowledgeable, I was hoping I could at
4: least maybe hang on to most handsome, but... uh, You were almost there, but we had to bring (laughs) in an actual personal (laughs) trainer. I mean, the, you, got them, you got height on them, so if worse comes it's to true. worse,
3: it's true. Um, and
4: it'll just be like a Capital City Bloodbath, where you are just like significantly taller than everyone you interviewed. A monster. Uh,
3: yeah. Yes. So we've got a lot going on, a lot of moving parts, and luckily, a whole lot of hours to figure it out. So uh, come and join us. Uh, and I think it's going to be absolutely phenomenal. It's going to be a lot of fun. So without further ado, we're going to hit that BCP bump extra special bcp bump because i believe they're somewhere around their third birthday now and they'll be the ones powering the lvo and all those stats you're going to be following from your desk at work here we go
2: tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com download the bcpto app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system, download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world, around the world, subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android best competitive events easier.
3: All right, Mr. Falcon, we are now going to introduce our first guest on the show, the most infamous 40k player player, i think still in existence the one the only nick the brown magic nanavati uh in an interview with yours truly but i thought maybe we would quickly talk a little bit about nick uh with you falcon what's your what's your favorite nick moment
4: my favorite nick moment um it's hard to say I think there was that one time um, at, what was it? Was it SoCal where he came up to his table and he looked at it and said, I can't win this game. And then proceeded to destroy his opponent in about seven minutes.
6: I think (laughs) that was probably
4: it. That's a pretty good Nick moment. Pretty good. I mean, the guy is full of them. Um, His win, to be fair, his win at the 2017 now? 2018 LVO?
6: 18, was It 2018. It was 18
4: at the, yeah. by then. It had flipped over uh, is probably the best uh, Nick Nanamati moment you can have. It actually uh, was a, a shining moment in my start to my uh, 40K following career from a more competitive perspective. His game against Tony Corbondo, uh, the narrative that that forged between the two of them with what had happened previously with uh, Tony and Alex Fennel, and then what happened during their game. Like, I was I was absolutely abuzz. I was messaging buddies. I was like, can you believe this even happened? And they were like, we don't care about anything that you're talking about. And I was like, well, you need to. This you is should. incredible. I'm going to this... dedicate a large portion of my life to making sure people <laughs> care about this. Because it's worth it. It's, and, I mean, to this day, we we get to watch all these amazing narratives break down. And that was one of the first really, really... Like it was poetic how that game played out it was awesome it was uh it was it was uh definitely
3: a wonderful crescendo and uh what's the word uh cosmic justice instant karma, instant karma there we go something like that anyway um so a lot of people are talking about Nick like, half jokingly but also not really having a bit of a down year for Nick um, Do you think that's accurate
4: I would say. Super guy yes. in fourth place? Fourth place? Yeah, I mean, yes. He, he, he's – the thing about Nick is a down year for Nick is if he doesn't win three or four big events, right? Um, and what we saw this year was a lot of second place finishes. You finish second at Beef and Wing. You finish second at CTC. You finish second at the a bunch of team tournaments. Um, and then he really only has one win this year, and it was at a very small GT spring conflagration um, so, yeah, his his numbers aren't what you'd normally uh, expect. Uh, that being said, he gets second place at uh, Atlanta Open in a really tight brawl. He is top table at uh, many, many more. So, like, his name is always going to be out there. Um, and he, he always produces results. I believe this year uh if i'm not mistaken in gt's and majors at least that i've covered he's 51 10 and 1 and that's not a poor record at all 51 wins 10 losses one draw and he's beating his opponents 30 to 17 on average that's no that's no slump uh no, for my no. chair no those are those are the numbers that you know match up to any of the say top 10 20 players uh in the world and are better in some cases that uh that low end 17 there aren't too many players uh, that can uh, can boast having that low uh, and against record.
3: That's amazing. Okay, any uh, final thoughts about Nick before we kick it over to an interview with Nick?
4: Super excited to hear what he has to say about his list. I know he's been talking about it online uh, because he completely 180. He went away from the Iron Hands he's been playing for a while. He did have a quick game with a kind of Skyrunner Conclave at an event that I don't think panned out the way he wanted it to. And now he's turned to White Scars. And it's a very unique list. I love how it plays on paper. um, And I'm super interested to hear what he has to say about it. Your
3: origin story is somewhat known. But I'd like to be a bit more specific. How did you get into competitive 40K specifically? Rather than, you know, uh, playing dollies with
7: dice. I kind of just fell into it gradually. I've always been a competitive person. Um, It's the brown in me, you know. So I... Was a kid, but I went to like my local stores, RTTs, whenever they ran them every few months. And I just enjoyed going. It was, I got my butt kicked every time because I was like 11, 12 years old. But I enjoyed it. I had fun. And I always I didn't care that I lost. I strived to be better, really. Because um, I guess when you're a kid, you, you don't care about success. You just care about having fun.
3: Well, I don't know. Like, as, as a kid playing Warhammer, did, did, did you get like super frustrated? Like, I mean, as a grown ass man, I am terrible at not getting frustrated.
7: I got frustrated a lot more with like building the models. I was terrible at building models. Gotcha. Like if it was a complicated kit. Oh my God, forget it. Uh, but no, I enjoyed playing. I really enjoyed list building. Uh, I guess that makes sense given my job now. Um, but yeah, I would just like enjoy playing 40 K for the sake of playing 40 K. I was also a lot more casual with it despite wanting to be competitive. Like I went to mega battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played in like campaigns, all kinds of stuff. I just en- enjoyed experiencing 40 K as a kid. Um, And then as I got, like, slightly older, we're talking, like, 14, 15, 16, I started going to, like, larger GTs that were in, like, relatively easy driving distance, like, an hour, two, three hours, I would make my parents drive me as a kid, and, like, they would hate it, but they loved me, so they would do it very nice of them. Um, And then I would, like, just play, again, get my butt kicked at the larger venues, real competition. Um, But over time, I got better. Um, I don't know, I guess just getting older made me smarter, and then... That obviously helps in a game that's strategy-based, so uh, experience definitely played in because I've been playing for so long already, even though it was, like, kind of silly nonsense playing, Yeah, and it just translated eventually, and over time, it just started to click more and more, and here we are now. So what, what was your first,
3: like, uh, large event win?
7: So it wasn't a win, but my I was 14. Or, yeah, I think I was 14. It was 2008, I want to say. Maybe it was 15. doesn't matter. Uh, and I went to. This is the first time I ever flew for a GT, and it's because I had family in the area. So I like made a excuse, basically. My parents were going to see family. And I was like, "Bring me!" And I want to play in this tournament. They're like, no. And somehow, begging <laughs> and whining got me there. Um, and it was a, It was the Necronomicon in Florida. Uh, this is like a hundred thousand years ago, two thousand eight. And it was, I don't remember how many people it was, maybe 60, 70. It was a big deal at the time back then, because there weren't so many GTs. And there were big names at the time then, like Mark Parker, probably some others I don't remember at all. Um, And I went undefeated, which is, that's never a thing i have done before. Um, And it was a five-round GT, what would probably have been considered a major back then, even by today's standards, maybe. Um, And I didn't win, but I got like second place because battle points which i was super stoked about either way yeah and then i felt like i was like making it you know like oh wow i actually am good at this game And a lot of that success unfortunately in hindsight was due to luck like uh and probably uh the game was at a younger state i would say so the level of skill i attained back then wouldn't carry me nearly af- as far today but the, the game wasn't as competitive back then, so I got away with it. All
3: this garbage that you've been doing with coaching people and like teaching the game, like I just can't win an RTT anymore, and it's your fault. I oh. I, it's not possible.
7: Well, <laughs> you know, it's—it's it's, my win rate has also gone down for a fair bit. I'm doing too good of a job out here.
3: <laughs> this is awful. Stop this now, okay? Yeah, so Let's just, go back just, to the good old days.
7: Everyone's terrible, and then it'll be fine. Yeah. I could just
3: win <laughs> on matchups sometimes. It was great. Anyway, all right, so segueing a little bit, um, you are the Brown Magic. You won the ITC and LVO in the year 2018?
7: That's correct. Uh,
3: Sparking, uh, I think, that was kind of like perhaps the watershed moment for competitive 40K. I think that was when things started getting a little more legit. My read, I don't know if you agree.
7: It was kind of a perfect storm, per se. I had uh, just recently stopped working at Revlon, my real-time big boy job, so I had a lot more free time to pursue competitive 40K, and then the Tony thing happened, of course. And as you put it, the watershed moment, it was very much like, which direction is the hobby going, and then with some driving forces, um, frontline, getting more deeply involved, myself, other people... Uh, legitimizing the game competitively, we, we just escalated to what it is today and still going.
3: Oh, yeah. I think it continues to grow, and that's fantastic. So coming forward to this year, I just want to say we've been asking people, and we'll ask you too, uh, who, who they think the favorite to win it is, and a lot of people are saying Nick Natavati is due. And that sounds a lot like, uh, what have you done for me lately, Nick? So how's your, <laughs> how's your year gone, and, and how would you break it down uh, as so, far as your play experience has been?
7: Very interestingly. I you uh, in fourth, fifth, where are you? I think fourth, fourth is last year. Like, so checked. it's, like, it's yeah. not
3: like a failure of a no, no, year, no, but I'm, you haven't. I, I'm a scrub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
7: um, no, so I think this is really interesting because I've been placing very consistently. Like I top eight pretty much every event I go to. I've gotten second, I think, 55 times this year. I can't even tell you. Um, so definitely a bit of the bridesmaid lifestyle this year. That means you've um, played
3: uh, in more GTs than there are weeks in the year, but that's fine.
7: Yes, yes, that's true. Um, I do have some some wins, so it's not like I'm just doing nothing out here. Uh, I won the Spring Conflagration Tournament, which is just like a small 40-person GT in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Minnesota, very proud of that one, obviously. Um, when is and, that in the year?
3: Maybe I should go hit that out.
7: <laughs> that's in May, or at least it was this past year. Uh, I won because I had a place to stay for free, and I was visiting my friend Tyler, Tyler DeVries. So... It was just good, good, convenient, fun tournament. See some friends. Um, then, of course, I was on Team English here, and then we won, uh, etc. So that is certainly not my win, but I definitely want to believe that I contributed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I won the Nova Invitational. So while it's only a 32-person invite-only tournament, it is pretty hard, so they say. So pretty tricky. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing nothing out here. Also, but, I
3: totally forgot oh. you won that, by the way. So
7: there you oh. go. Well, thanks. Good. Yeah, don't forget. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely haven't brought home the number of first places that I have in the past. Uh, traditionally, I – at this point, I've won Adepticon four times, um, and then the year I didn't win Adepticon, I won LVO. So pretty much every year for the past five years, I've won a super major.
3: You're you're going down. You're going down swinging on top tables at them. Still, I mean, even the yeah yeah the, yeah, the year that to you top didn't top. win a you lost to Matt Ret running uh, crazy yeah. Tyranids
7: in the finals. In the, in the
3: finals, finals. Uh, you know, you've lost top table a bunch this year as well.
7: Yeah, yeah, I lost to uh, Richard Siegler on the top tables of Pro Tabletop. Um, so it's not like uh, I keep saying this, but like I'm yeah. relevant, guys. Pay attention to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well,
3: fourth place ITC is still relevant and I think there's there's no doubting that. So I think you've talked a little bit about, about this on Art of War and I suggest everyone go back and listen to the episode where Richard interviews Nick. But you kind of get into some of the reasons behind your year and why you think you may have come up short. And a lot of that had to do with switching around on armies. Do you want to comment about that a little bit? You're now freed from the shackles of your orcs.
7: I had the, the intention to stick with Gene to the entire year through and, and just rock it, because they were super flexible. I really enjoyed their play style. They were really strong, and uh, that was my plan. And then a combination of the Marine meta and then Chapter proved boning my army in half basically meant that that was a suicide mission. So had to change yet again. I uh, swapped over to Space Marines, and I figured if I got an early jump on Space Marines in like October, by the time LVO rolls around in the end of January, um, I'll have enough time to get pretty decent with them, and that's more or less what I've been working on all season. So, it's been working, um, but still, the every both of the losses that I have in super majors so far with Space marines have been attributed, or I could attribute them to, a lack of experience with my army hmm. um, at the at a super high level. Like I'm making like micro mistakes, but that's the ones that'll kill you against like Richard Siegler at the top table. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I've solved my problem here.
3: <laughs> well, hey, um, maybe the uh, meta solved it for you because old old Siegler has had to n- is now going to be playing catch up with you, if I'm not mistaken.
7: Uh, yeah, that's that's true. He did just recently swap over to Iron Hands, although his version of Iron Hands is actually a Tower Army in disguise. So I don't <laughs> know how different it'll be.
3: <laughs> okay, well we'll see. <laughs> there are other things that go on that you have to understand, um, of course. But anyway, okay, so that's that's your so. For you, I mean, obviously, you, were, you, you had some great moments this year. What was your biggest moment or biggest win or whatever? What's something that stands out for you this year that you'd, you'd like to highlight?
7: Um, honestly, it's not actually related to, to any wins I've done. Um, probably starting Art of War... Uh, leaving Knights at the Game Table and, and making my own brand with it. Uh, I, I just love that I was able to take that step for myself and go the direction I really want. So that's more of a personal goal, I guess, than a, than a 40K goal. That's related to 40K, so I'll count it. As far as wins go, um, ETC is always going to be my number one. Uh, it's a team event, so I can't claim it as my own, and I don't. Uh, obviously, every member of my team had so many hours put into it and every member matters in every round. So no one person can claim any credit, but it's, to, it's the hardest tournament in the year by far. And it's so much planning and prep goes into it. So to win it two years in a row on two different teams is truly an honor. Um, and I think I'm the only person ever to win it on two different teams. So that's cool too.
3: I would think so. I would think that's probably pretty damn unique. And depending yeah. on what they do this well, year, some people
7: have played on different teams. Yes. But yeah. But to win is a different story.
3: Yeah. Um, Normally, Mercs, as uh, as I'm sure they're hotly debating. Normally, that's a more desperation play for a team, uh, yeah. Rather than,
7: right. the... <laughs> but we're not going to get hey, into that. It's <laughs> okay.
3: Hey, if changes, my my dream for Team Canada is to be Team America's farm team. I've been saying this for years. I w- we should be the four best Canadians, and then <laughs> and then four, four of the runner-up Americans. I think it would work really well. Anyway, um. Okay, so that's the highlight. I think that's a pretty obvious slam dunk highlight. What a wonderful team that was, too. A lot of great people on it. Um, And just like a really great arc. uh, Yeah, they they
7: were a treasure to play with. Like, I really enjoyed my time with England. Um,
3: Just a real technical approach to, to that tournament, too. My favorite 40K, this is my highlight, my favorite 40K stat center the entire year, by the way, everybody, is the ETC episode. I think that stands the test of time, listenable in any season. Go back and listen to it if you haven't already. It's fantastic. Um, okay, that's enough plugging for me. So let's move on. Now we're here. We're here on a LVO hype show. We're 15 minutes into this interview, um, and we should probably talk about the LVO. Uh, my first question is: Why? What are you playing at the LVO, and why isn't it the Possessed Bomb, you so-called Chaos fan?
7: All right. So the Possessed Bomb is, is real, and my Chaos is at my heart. Um, I played one game with the Possessed Bomb, and I haven't. Remember, I haven't touched Chaos. Pretty much in a year, because I went from orcs to Gene Sealer Cult to now Marines. If yeah. I'm
3: not mistaken, you are an early an innovator of the Possessed Bomb?
7: That's true, that's true. I put time into Possessed before they got good, I'll say. Um, before they got Alpha Legion, before they got points drops, before all this stuff that made them actually work. I was all on like Death Guard, Nurgle, Possessed. Dude, there's so much here. Uh, And, like, the the strats were close. The synergy was there. It just had too many hurdles to overcome to really make it on the top tables. So the idea was never fleshed out and explored, at least not by me. I think Mark Perry put some time into it, but it's a middling success. Um, (laughs) Then, not to put anything against Mark. It's just a hard army. to. No,
3: he's middling. I I get it. I get it. Yeah.
7: Um, Then... This happened. I, you know, went crawling back to my first love, chaos, and I was like, "Well, let's make some stuff happen here." I put it on the table, and the lack of, uh, the, the not playing chaos for a year, came like rushing to throw itself in my face. Is like, I can't switch to chaos two months before LVO. I just don't have the practice. I don't have the reps. This army, I get its concepts, but it's too complex on the the actual execution for me to get it right ten times out of ten. Uh, I, like I can go five and one with it, I'm sure, um, just through competent play and understanding the army really well. But to make that elusive top eight against the top players, and then to go further and try to win the event, I just don't think I had the, the experience with it. So, all right, maybe after LVO.
3: So what has so okay, we'll we'll let you off the hook there. So now, what are you playing? We lists are in. In fact, I think they've been revealed. So you can yeah, actually yeah, talk yeah. freely about this. What's what's uh, what's what's Nick bringing to the well, LVO?
7: I think just about everyone, including myself, expected me to play my Iron Hands Brigade or something along those lines um, because I've been rocking with it since October and like mm-hmm. multiple second place finishes at Pro Tabletop, 5-1 uh, at SoCal, uh, Wars in Atlanta, Best General. So I was, I was doing the work out here with the Iron Hands Brigade. and
3: Still relevant, then, folks. Still relevant.
7: Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, what happened basically was this came out. And they were a tough match, not unwinnable by any stretch, they were tough. So whatever, we can adapt, we can make some tweaks, handle some fists. Possessed came out, and it's like, okay, this is tough too, so adapt a little bit, make some tweaks. Fists and Possessed are polar opposites on the problem scale, like fists shoot you with artillery, Possessed charge you with Possessed. Um, And they're unshootable, so it's like, well, solving both at the same time is a little bit difficult, but we can make it work, I guess. And then LVO goes ahead three days before list submission due, and then uh, they put out this terrain format, which most people probably just was like, oh, cool, terrain. And I was like, oh, my God, terrain. Um, It's a very drastic difference from the formats I was expecting and the terrain layouts I'm used to. Yeah. I actually covered a lot in depth on an Art of War article on my website, theartofwar40k.com. Shameless plug. Nice. Um, Then uh, it basically sent me into my Iron Hands just aren't going to work mode. At least, again, I probably could go five and one with them, but against those top players, too much stacked against me, not going to go the long distance with it. Uh, And I've been talking a big game up on White Scars for the past, like, few months, that they were one of the strongest Marine factions, just super unexplored, and through the lack of time and good players just gravitating towards the more obvious builds due to lack of time, like Iron Hands or Imperial Fists. Um, So no one's really put the time into White Scars. I know Nick Rose has been putting the time in himself lately, so I've been helping him with that. Getting some ideas flowing on the White Scar train in the background, and then I guess I just decided go for it. YOLO. Let's play some White Scars. You so yolo to White Scars. White scars? I, I YOLO'd to White Scars. <laughs> That's the long story I'm getting at here.
3: <laughs> so let me get this straight. So you've gone to White Scars. <sighs> Lennon's yeah. gone yeah. to Fists.
7: No, he he YOLO'd to Fist, and then YOLO'd again <laughs> to Iron Hands. Oh, he's back to Iron he's- Hands.
3: Okay, but he was already running sort of an uh, Iron Hand hybrid, okay.
7: Well, he was running a Scar-Iron Hand mix, and now yeah. he's gone pure Iron Hands, yeah.
3: And then and Siegler went from Tau to Iron Hands.
7: Siegler actually went from Tau to Fist to Iron Hands, so okay. everyone's just all over the place. <laughs> this is awesome. Rose Rose went from Iron Hands to Scars. Yeah. Uh,
3: Hilarious. Alex
7: Harrison went to Possess. Just nothing makes sense in this. This LB. is wonderful.
3: Okay, so that's great. Um, and my question to you then would be, oh man, we didn't bring Harrison in on these. He's going to be mad. Oh well. Don't be mad at me, Harrison. Oh, well. um, the um, the thing I would ask you is uh, why? So what? What did, you you spent five ten minutes talking about how you couldn't possibly change armies? Uh, you've been practicing Iron Hands all yeah. time. Yeah, it's not that like
7: doctors it's... make the worst patients, coaches <laughs> make the worst coaches. That, that applies to me so hard.
3: <laughs> so why, why, why the what? What is the metacall you see in in white scars? Other than it being kind of snowflakey, in my view, and uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. So tell me, why white no, scars? No, no,
7: snow, snowflakey, and it's snowing out here. So so oh, fitting. Um, lot is snow. part of the the reason not for the sake of snowflakiness but white scars being what they are is no one knows what they do Like you might understand white scars in theory they got master snares assault doctrine damage plus one movement tricks but like that's fairly nebulous you know those are non-specific what they do so i'm hoping not to get you people but i'm happy hoping people's lack of experience can carry me fairly far with the white scars Uh, because it's one thing to know what they do like i'll explain people i'm not a gotcha kind of player But it's another thing to understand what they do. Like, I can tell you my Smash Captain can move 30 inches and charge you. But then, do you know what that actually means as far as where you should put your models? Like, that's Mm -hmm. a different story.
3: I want to say 31 Um, inches away would be where you put the models.
7: Nah, that's too simple. I guess. I'm just guessing. (laughs) Um, So, also, I think White Scars have a very interesting anti Marine meta perspective on them. Um, They. They do go to damage three in yeah. Assault Doctrine. Um, or Sorry, damage plus one. So, like, damage regular three, dudes yeah. are damage two. Everyone's running Intercessors these days because Scouts just died of Thunderfires. So, that's their meta-teching for opposing Thunderfires, as Intercessors. So, I'm meta-teching for anti-Intercessors with damage two on my army. Um, things like I can stack multiple damage modifiers. So, like, if I have a Thunderhammer on a Smash Captain, he's damage three. And then I have the plus one of damage from Mastercrafted, and then I have plus one damage from my Doctrine. So I'm damage five. The way having damage from my Iron Hands Dreadnought Strat, or the Spaceman Dreadnought Strat, rather, works with bonus modifiers. is not damage five, half to three. It's three, half to two, plus one for Mastercraft, plus one for White Scars. So it's actually damage four still. So I get around those little interactions really well. Hmm. Um, And there's just lots of tricks. So I think it's a very interesting left-field meta call, but fundamentally... Um, I didn't feel like my Iron Hands could hang with fists on a pure damage output thing. Like from an efficiency standpoint, fists were just going to beat me in raw power. Um, so I figured if I can't hang with fists on raw power, let me go as hard as possible down the other direction and just play tricky, janky stuff. Yeah. So that'll let me at least try to leverage some skill and hopefully pull out some wins where I have no business winning. But this could totally backfire and watch me flame out, go 2-4 del LVO and lose my job. It's going to be great. <laughs> so, uh, so
3: so as usual, it seems like your battle plan is just outplay them. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love you, man. So this is actually kind of neat. I mean, like the, the White scars is is one thing, but... I, I've been talking to everyone about how the LVO, just because of the way 8th edition is kind of set up, um, it's kind of a blind corner is what I've been saying to a lot of the other guests. Like, it's the meta is wildly different than the last time we checked in. Like, the the, the last, like, major, like, big-time event, I'm going to forget something, but I don't think so. It was probably the, um, uh, the Atlanta Open, you know, as far mm-hmm. as, like, something that a lot of people pay yeah. attention to. Uh, yeah. And th- that meta was really two months long- old because like that
7: meta at the time was basically the same meta as SoCal because fists weren't legal, so there's nothing matter weren't not legal, um,
3: and so every everyone's been talking yeah. about where are the where where are the Imperial fists because I think they were supposed to be some hotness and and now maybe now and that's what's
7: happening and also Psychic Awakening came out there since then yeah. too um yeah. and Chapter proved of course so the meta from basically October to where we are now has shifted so much so. Yeah. This is all just kind of me adapting or trying to.
3: Well, everyone, yeah, and everyone's kind of got a guess, and it was funny that essentially, like, all of you guys have made sort of a move and another move. It's it's really funny. It's Yeah, uh, there,
7: there's actually a little bit of a test game, I guess. I yeah. never thought of it like that, between the top players teching for each other. In yes,
3: that 100%. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Do more of it. Okay, cool. So let's, let's wrap it up. I've used up a lot of your time, and we've got... Uh, other people interview, not just you. Even though I could clearly, chat with
7: you. I'm the only one who matters.
3: I could chat with you all day, Nick. But uh, let's let's wow. since we have um we have this this game of of uh, cat and mouse, uh, smoke cloaks and cloaks and daggers. What do you think winds up being and comprising the top eight?
7: So I would say I, I expect four to five marine armies. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect like. Six, seven, or eight, and I don't expect some crazy low number like three or two. I would say definitely four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, Chaos and Eldar will probably make up the remainder, being uh, two Chaos, and I'll say the builds don't both have to be Possessed Bombs. We might see a Dark Horse build. Uh, like Matt Morisoli is bringing kind of an old school Thousand Sons Playbear type thing, so that's interesting. Um, Justin Curtis always does his own weird things, so that's cool too.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, And then you might see something dark horsey like Tao. Um, Brian Pullen's still rocking Tao, so he's definitely a contender. Uh, I really don't don't want to bet against Brandon. I love Brandon, but I think he's not trying to win LVO this year with guard. I think he knows that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I could be putting words in his mouth.
3: No, he's Uh, put those words in his mouth. Although he also would never, like, even if he was trying, he wouldn't say, yeah, I'm going to try to win the LVO. He's trying to win the game in front of him, man, one game at a time. He's the Bill Belichick of Warhammer.
7: Okay. Yeah, I don't think we'll have a dark horse of who is this player in there. You might have someone breaking out, but then they will also continue to have a new year moving forward or a good year moving forward. I'm telling you, man. Season.
3: If there was ever a meta where you could have a random guy just accidentally win with iron hands or some shit, I think it's this one. Everyone else I'm... is like getting so like technical and specific, and someone just gets first turn, fucking nine times in a row, and blows everyone away. <laughs>
7: You know, that's true. That's true. But I think the level of top talent, or at least close to top talent out there right now, yeah. is higher than the number of people in, that are going to be undefeated at round six, around five even.
5: Sure, like, yes. If, right so,
7: here. if you're like an average player, I'm not even talking about low average, just average player with Iron Hands or Imperial Fist or your Go First Win Monkey style army, by the time you hit round five or six... Sorry,
3: can we break that down? A Go First Win Monkey style army?
7: Go First Win Monkey style. God. Yes. Gonna copyright that. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you're a type of player who, who's relying on that to be your win condition, that's not going to work against someone who's of a, a very solid skill level. Okay. And then you're, I don't think there's, I think there's so many top players these days where you're going to run into that guaranteed by round five or six.
3: Well, when you run into my horse in the race, Bubbles the Chimp, in fucking the Shadow Round. Um, I, 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 I hope he has no mercy on you.
7: Uh, Bubbles the chimp is a Dragon Ball Z character, and your, seems- your references are not lost on me. Yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. was
3: Michael Jackson monkey. Michael Jackson's monkey. Oh, it Bubbles. might
7: be too. It might be. Maybe he know. named it after Dragon Ball Z. Maybe Dragon Ball Z named it after him. We'll never know. <laughs>
3: Moves and counter moves when you're talking with Nick Natavati, even in the references. This is getting deep. Even All right. in
7: the references.
3: So uh, what's, your goal to, what's your goal at the LVO? Most obvious question ever lobbed up to anyone.
7: Yeah, I mean, the the dream is to win, right? Yeah. So I'd say that's my goal, but you can never set that as like, I'm going to win, obviously. No, it's not an expectation. Um, no, it's different I between
3: re- expectations and goals, but yeah.
7: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would really like to make top eight with White Scars. Um, I think it's got the power to. I think it's dark horsey and cool, and like that'd be a cool statement. Like, There's five people who signed up as White Scars, according to some dude's stats, so that'd be a really <laughs> cool thing. Um, yeah, we'll say that's my goal. It's
3: fucking galaxy brain, bud. All right. Um, then finally, aside from yourself, who do you think is going to win the Las Vegas Open?
7: I think Richard Siegler is going to do it. I do. I think Siegler. he is. I, yeah. Yeah. I think he's got – I really, really like his list. I think he's brought probably the strongest all-comers list you could possibly come up with. makes me kind of jealous, to be honest.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, he's also my teammate, so I'm a little he's invested a quarterback. in well. Yeah. Um, but he's such a strong player. Like I played him twice and both times. Um, you know how sometimes when you lose a game – and you feel like maybe you shouldn't have lost, but things happen. <laughs> Every time I played Siegler, I felt like I should have lost. Like not, like not like I was playing a poor game out there, but he played a better game than I did both times. So he, he beats you on the strategic level, not the micro level. So if someone's going to bring it down uh, and I had to put money on it, I'd put money on him.
3: I think it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, I can't wait to see how Bubbles does. I hope you don't cross paths.
7: Bubbles is never going to win this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I got Bubbles numbers.
3: Bubbles number is 69 for the record. I bought the jersey myself. Well, I think that's it, man. Anything you would like to plug or, or say before we wrap it all up?
7: Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I've recently started uh, my new brand coaching service called The Art of War. Uh, I'm going to be jo- going to Florida, like literally flying from Vegas to Florida. But yeah, I'm going there to start uh, being on an esports team with the Obey Alliance guys and Richard Siegel and Mark Perry, and we're gonna do a lot of 40k streaming content creation. Do
3: you guys have a? Do you have like a channel people can like sub and like hit the bell on, or is that? Oh, absolutely.
7: We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We we're, we have a Twitch stream with no videos on it yet, but as soon as I get down to Florida, we're gonna be cranking out two three games a week on that thing. Exactly. So you'll pay attention to that. Uh, this is all the Art of War, or Art of War 40k, or something along the lines of Art of War, depending on which platform. Uh, and we do have a website, theartofwar40k.com. So check us out. Also got a podcast, all kinds of stuff.
3: Second best podcast on this network, I'd say.
7: Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe the first, but you know wow. we'll let the audience decide that one.
3: We'll, we'll have to. Mm-hmm. In which case, like third best. Okay, so um, <laughs> that's been wonderful. Thank you for your time, Nick. I wish you all the best of luck uh, at the LVO, and I'm sure we'll see each other high five, and maybe I'll we'll even get you on our live stream for some oh, post game so stuff. Sweet.
7: Yeah, Val. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. And if
3: there's a drone hovering over your table, just be cool.
7: Tournament News. Hey, guys. This is Nick Nanavati from The Art of War. Where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. And you're listening to 40K Stats Center.
3: Next up, we've got a bit of a legend in the making, I would say. Manny Chima.
4: I'm not even sure if it's in the making. I think it's already here.
3: Well, I just feel like he's a name that's on the lips of a lot of, uh, let's say, more North American podcasters because the UK doesn't really podcast,
4: except for Stephen Box. He's got one. Um, He is, and it's now in the top eight podcasts in all of 40K, apparently, and he's put out like an episode and a half.
3: Well, I guess that's great for Stephen Box. Speaking of which, if you're listening to this, why not give us a like and a subscribe and, I don't know... A thumbs down on Stephen Box's podcast. Okay, no, don't do that. He's nice. Um, he
4: is, and he's, he could beat us up.
3: He's a treasure. He wouldn't beat us up, though. Um, he wouldn't, but he could. I guess. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's his angle. It's just the threat of punishment. Regardless, we're here to talk about Manny Chima and the legend that I think is growing in, 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 in the North American sphere of things. Pete, why, why is that? What is, what is so great about Manny Chima?
4: Um, he's extraordinarily charismatic. He's got a, a, a look that you can get into, and he's practically undefeated this year in tournament play. Um, the guy is a treasure, like you said. He's a pleasure to interview. We've had him on the podcast, I don't know, five or six times. Um, this year in majors alone, I don't even know if this includes any. I think it has one GT. He, he's had five undefeated events um, with disparate Lists. He ran a Tau broadside spam list earlier in the year at Big Bristol uh, Major and uh, absolutely destroyed everyone, went undefeated there. Um, He had an Imperium list um, where he was kind of running a leaf blower style that he went undefeated with multiple times. Um, His uh, Chaos list he's gone undefeated with. And uh, more recently, Marines. He's been doing a lot of work with Marines. He came in second at London GT with Eldar. Like The guy has run basically everything you can and been absolutely dominant with all of it crushing it as they may
3: say um yes and marines was uh, was sort of where he was he was doing the podcast circuit a little bit even before he took an interview with us and everywhere i heard him talking he was talking about really you know taking an already absurd uh, centurion marine meta and just cranking that up a little bit and then he did a bit of a 180 on that list
4: yeah for sure he's uh now gone and decided that um if there's going to be terrain at lvo he is going to pretend it doesn't exist um so his list is just straight up imperial fists with as much um ignore line of sight as he can get he's got i believe three relic scorpius in that list three thunderfire cannons three rapier carriers and uh, just a smattering of units to kind of block them off if something bad happens um, that's a, it's a devastating list. If that thing goes first against pretty much anybody, you're in a lot of trouble real quick.
3: Excellent foreshadowing for when we talk about this with Manny. Uh, he has a great quote uh, on that very topic. I want to ask just from a broader perspective, though, very quickly, what are your thoughts on these pretty massive pivots that some of the biggest, uh, you know, highest-ranked players anyway have made in their army and faction choices? Like, we've got Ziegler changing, Nick Nanavati change. Uh, we're talking about Manny here, shifted from what he's been playing most recently, but as you said, he's been all over the place this year with great success. Do you think everyone can be like Manny and, and handle that kind of a pivot?
4: No, I think we've talked about this before um, when we talked about the importance, especially at a certain level of play, with maintaining a list. Um, if you, Unless you're the type of person that can get in four games a week, five games a week with high-quality players like at the drop of a hat, like say the Brohammer guys, I mean, they have team meetings at like Denny's where they go over lists with you know, scrap boards and it's probably, and it's, chalk it's, probably a, and it's probably a Shoney's. Shoney's, sorry. I apologize to all Floridians. Um, but yeah, so you got guys like this that are doing that extra work. Um, I feel that they're probably a little more comfortable making large pivots uh, from lists and trying to play this sneaky game. Um, you got guys on the East Coast like uh, the two Knicks, Nick Rose and Nick Nanavati, who have both uh, kind of made this a very quick uh, switch to White Scars. Um, and it's the same idea where, you know, they can have a weekend where everybody from Beast Coast shows up and that's, you know, like five or six of the top players in the world and just play games for three days. Um, and then you have events like Charity Hammer that these guys go to where they can kind of test side lists that play very similarly to what they're thinking about. So they get an idea and. Um, And there's also a game within a game here uh, at this level, I think, where people are trying to trick their opponents into practicing against one specific list um, when they're going to immediately curve into something else.
3: Amazing. A little above-the-table gameplay. Awesome. I think you guys are in for a treat. Here's me talking to Manny. You're not and not only that, they're not the only ones who have heard this from. A lot of people will be like, Yeah, Nick Brown, sure, but I don't know if you've heard of this guy named Manny Chima. So there's some hype behind Manny Chima. Who is this man? Who is this caped crusader? <laughs> oh, and wow. I don't think I don't think we have a good idea yet of your origin story. A lot of the Americans, <laughs> they're on podcasts every five minutes, and you know, we get to hear their origin stories. But I wanna I wanna know, Manny, where where did you get into competitive forty K? How did it start? ah
0: okay so i've actually only been playing the game for five years now i believe it was um the towards the middle of seventh i came in so I've, I've only ever played this game in seventh and eighth edition and um it's actually quite funny because i've not played anything except for competitive 40k i um i went paintballing with a group of lads Okay. And um, they used to they used to play Warhammer, so one of them got me into it. And then a couple of lads that I used to play Magic the Gathering with were like, actually, we're going to this, uh, this Warhammer 40k tournament, would you like to come? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? And I went to this tournament, got absolutely smashed. But then I also had a lot of fun, made loads of friends, and got really, really drunk. So I really enjoyed it. And I was <laughs> like, oh, you know what? I want to go to more of these with you guys. It's actually quite fun. Uh, but I would not like to lose. So uh, I thought, you know what, let's let's try our best to get good at the game. And um, I played a lot of practice games with my friends, and Dan was a part of this group. Dan became a part of this group at the same time I did. And, um, yeah, since then I've just played loads of games and went to tournaments to get better. And that's, where, that's literally where I came in. I, I played for about one year straight, and then got noticed by Team England. And, um, wow.
3: and, and then they brought you in on the academy, eh? They were like, this, we need this guy in the, in the, in the system.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. So they brought me in, and I've been on Team England ever since. So I've been playing the game five years, and I've been playing for England for four years.
3: That's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so pretty cool. By the sound of it, you had some, some nerd game bona fides previous to 40K. Is that, is that accurate?
0: Yeah, so um, I used to enjoy paint a lot. And I, I thought that was absolutely awesome.
5: Yeah,
0: and uh, that was pretty crazy. But then it was it was quite expensive also. Um, and then we started playing Magic: The Gathering, and I really enjoyed that. We'd like yeah. we would just you know meet up from a friend's house. Uh, it would be at different people's houses all the time, and we'd just play Magic: The Gathering for hours and hours, and just you know talk about crap and have a laugh really.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I really enjoyed that. And then the minute we started going to 40k tournaments, I was like. This, this, this is really cool. Yeah. And then from there, I, I, I started doing like consistently well, sort of like top tenning in tournaments. So did you, uh, uh,
3: did you have any like, I mean, you, you're in the UK, right? Like uh-huh. in North America, it's very easy to have. No, I'd never even seen a Games Workshop or a Warhammer store. But in the UK, I feel uh, okay. like there's, it's, I'd, I'd imagine every major mall has a Warhammer store in the UK. Yeah, like, so, they're um, around a well, lot I more. Live in,
0: yeah, I live in Wolves. And um, in Wolves, we have, we have a store in town.
3: Right, so So, like you must have known about this game. Like, what was what did you think it was? Like, you're out there like playing paintball.
0: Yeah. See, this is the thing because um, I went to a grammar school for like two years, and um, when I went to this grammar school, uh, the kids used the kids used to play it, and I used to make fun of them. Sure. (laughs) I I was that guy. (laughs) I used to make fun of them playing with these little. I used to be like, "Oh, you you guys playing with your Barbie dolls again?" Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, there you go, like. Five years later, I'm playing it and I'm loving it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I, I love it. I think it, I think it's great, and I love how much the competitive scene has grown yeah. in the last couple of years. I think it's amazing.
3: When was when was like your first major splash? What was your first big win in competitive forty k?
0: Okay, so it was um, actually I'm 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 pretty proud of it, and um, I I didn't get selected the first time when I applied for Team England. So I. Um, was using demons and I switched to the tri star. I was ready like triple death star demons.
3: I think you and Innis and like other guys from from Europe are the only people who I ever speak to and they get nostalgic for seventh edition jank. Like, they just they, you can see you're getting like all starry eyed, like right now, talking about all these like buffs on buffs.
0: Yeah, there was so there was some <laughs> so what did funny you do with stuff it? in there, and um, I think that was it. So I, I, got, um, I, got, I got asked to, to come along to England practice events because I'd, I'd played for about uh, eight months at this point, and I went to Allies of Convenience, yep. which is a big tournament that happened in Warrington, and it was run by Team Wales, and I met all the England lads there, like uh, Chewy, Josh, all of them guys, and um, I came forth from out of nowhere. like No one's ever heard of me before. And I won four games and drew one and came fourth. But then I got noticed, and then they asked me to come along to practice events, and I did. And then I used Demons all year. And um, I didn't get picked because there was uh, somebody already on the team that does play Demons as well. So I was like, okay, no problem, fair enough. Um, But then that very, like, the month after selection, when I didn't get picked, was Caledonian Revolution, which is one of our biggest majors that we have in the summer. And I went to that tournament, and then I beat... I think I beat Chu, who's our vice captain, Josh, who is our captain, and also I beat Sam Madadi with his own list in the final. Uh, so I was I was really proud of that. I was like, wow, that's, a, that's actually my first ever win in a major. And uh, for it to come just after I didn't get selected for team England, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool, actually. And then um, it happened that the Demon player for that year who got picked over me, Lost his passport, so I got to go in the end. Passport forty k
3: players are perpetually challenged with passport issues. I don't know what the hell. Like we won't we won't lose like (laughs) a single bit or magnetized weapon option off a model, but a fucking passport we can't figure out. Can't can't handle (laughs) it. Don't know where it is. It's too big, I
0: guess. (laughs) So that's it. I think that was it. And I had a hot year. So like I, I won that tournament, and then that year was like. The yeah. year of Manny.
3: Well, the year of Manny. I mean, this has been a pretty action-packed year too. So, what's been the shape of your year? Because I mean, I've been talking, to, I've interviewed you as a TO and as a winner on on Forty K Stats Center. We've only been at it for six months, uh, and I know you've had other wins outside of that. So, like, what 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 did the oh, first yeah. so half of your this year, year look year like? Year
0: has been pretty damn great. I think this has been my best year for for sure. And um, <clears throat> I've had. Um, Definitely had the most wins in a single year this year. Um, the first half of my year, straight after the LVO last year, we were basically the glass hammer was just starting up. We had a, mm-hmm. a small little shed basically as our store with one table in it. And all, our stock was crammed around this one table. So uh, we, we were both crammed in there, me and Dan, on either sides of the table making battle reports with a camera in the ceiling. And that's it. That was, that was our whole shop. So yeah. it was um it was a tough start to the year, but we worked hard, and I was going to events at the same time, and I I, I rocked a towel. I used nine broadsides, and no you one sure was did. using broadsides, and I just rocked up the table with nine broadsides, so nine broadsides
3: and fifty five drones, yeah, and a lot of drones. I think I think that was interesting because I think unlike with Richard's list, for whatever reason, the drones have been the star from the start. But with the nine broadsides, I don't remember a lot of chatter about how important 55 drones was to that list.
0: It's um, it, it was really, really important because you have to realize with the riptides, if somebody gets into you, the game is not over. Yeah, You can fall back, you can shoot, you've got so many things you can do. But if someone gets into a broadside unit, Mm -hmm. it's normally game over. So you have to be so meticulous with the way the screen. I think if push out far with your drone screens and like octopus leg back all the way to the nine broadsides in a little base, then people could could be charging your drones 20 inches away from the (laughs) broadsides. And you would still be able to overwatch because you're within six of them and within 36 of the enemy. So it was loads of things like that. And I think I just play because I'm a very aggressive player. I don't really play the defensive list normally at the ETC as well. I normally have the janky hard hitting list that goes out there and pulls out tricks here and there and gets big wins. Yeah. So I, I am a really aggressive player and using Tao was quite weird because every turn first and I'd be like advance in the middle of the board. That's where I am yeah. surrounded by 55 drones yeah. and people just weren't expecting it. People would expect me to sit in the corner. And um so I had a lot of success. I think I won three majors with Tao at the start of the year. So,
3: And I was pretty dismissive, personally, of those lists, because I just assumed you were just nuking people. But you were actually doing stuff that I think, later on, Richard kind of got famous for when he started doing that stuff, like, basically at Nova, when he was doing that at Warzone, and... and, And uh, also the Atlanta Open, those places where because Richard's Rich at the at the top of it, running Tau yeah. I think similar way, just not based on the broadsides. Yeah, of course. I joke that it was just because you guys don't play with terrain that you could win with that list. And I think maybe that was, I think that was maybe a little unfair. So where, where did you go with <laughs> after the the towel? I guess there's there's the etc yeah. triumph for you.
0: So at the etc, I was using Guardsman, and uh, me and Josh uh, just. Put our heads together and tried to make the the list we could, and um I liked the second libby dread in the list and the third smash captain
5: mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> so um that's the way we went. We had five blood angel smash face characters yeah. with a load of guardsmen that it, could it fight was... when they died, and triple wivens as well
3: yeah, it was a castellan list castellan list
0: <coughs> yeah it was I thought it was awesome I thought it was, sweet, I thought it was yeah addictive. yeah, it's because. I thought about it and I was like, there are so many weapons right now that can just kill a Castellan, and he is your only hard hitter in that list. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, if I've got this many guardsmen that are good in combat, if I could put in there four or five characters that hit so hard, and they can be in four or five different places on the board, they will do the they, they will do the Castellan's job, but in five places on the board. Sure. So that's the way I went, and um, I think it was I think it was one of the toughest guard builds out there this year
3: but that's all good and then uh, round in the corner now i mean you come in you, you you must have been at the lgt obviously had a good run there yes
0: uh, it was actually pretty funny because uh, I, have a, I have a bit of a knack for doing this and i just turned around and i was like guys i uh, i've never used eldar before but um i'm gonna take <laughs> eldar planes to lgt and everyone was like what and then da- dan turned around to me and he was like bro there's only one problem we don't own any Eldar planes and I was like yeah that's fine I'll just buy them all and build them all
5: <laughs> <So>
0: <laughs> I was uh, I was sitting in uh, James who's one of the TOs for the LGT I was sitting in his living room while him and Dan went out for beers at the pub and I was sitting there till 2 a.m the night before the LGT Blew painting these Eldar oh, planes oh
3: okay okay painting at least okay that's good
0: <laughs> so that was that was uh, that was pretty funny I'm sure they but, look beautiful um, I oh my god. My, <laughs> you have not seen my models <laughs> My models are terrible. I am not a good painter. Well
3: We got a little <laughs> I got a little preview earlier of, of what you're bringing to the LVO. Those look they look fairly nice. They look they look tidy.
0: They look they look okay, yeah, but they are. Uh, they're mostly painted by Dan to be fair. I, uh, <laughs> I Okay, this is quite funny. Um I didn't know what dry brushing was. Right. So um well, Dan, new to the hobby. Dan, you're new to the hobby.
3: A lot of these people have been doing this since they were like 10 years old so like you got a lot to catch up on
0: it was so funny dan dan built our repulsors and we have five repulsors and he was dry brushing the first one and i was like what are you doing bro and he was like i'm just dry brushing silver over the over the over the black and i was like ah oh, that's pretty cool uh, and i was like how do you do it so he showed me and i was like oh this is really cool so i sat down next to him on the second one and i kind of like Wet-brushed got a it. big blob of silver <laughs> uh, i i just dabbed it on the tissue rather than taking most of the paint <laughs> yeah. off and then started slapping it on this tank. And he turned around and he was like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> and my tank was like half silver, yeah. half black. And he was like, you're, you're an idiot. You're an idiot.
3: <laughs> Wet brushing. It's a new technique. Well, you know, the, 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 the North American brown magic has uh, last year went through a, a hobby uh, transformation with with uh, the army painter. He got picked up by the army painter and Adam Abramowitz. Mm-hmm. And he was actually sponsored and they did like a uh, like a promo of Nick Nanavati painting his entire army. Oh wow in like uh, I think three day span it was orcs too. Oh it's wow. It's a great series okay, of videos. Yeah. Perhaps you could watch it a little inspiration for
0: you. Wow. It's nice.
3: Yeah. But and now Nick when when we did his interview just a few hours ago, he was he was doing some hobby. He was painting up one of his chaplains. Oh brands.
0: very nice. Oh yeah, I had him on the, I had him on open the vaults yesterday. Oh, yeah. And he was uh, on Thursday, sorry, and he was just sitting there. And I was like, "What are you doing, Nick?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, sorry for uh, sorry for not paying attention, guys. I'm just building the incursors for my list." <laughs> I was like, yeah, "Yeah, this is brilliant. This is brilliant." And it was quite funny actually because he's he's another one, man. He's just completely switched lists, gone for the white scars.
3: Oh, everybody has. So we were talking about this. It's yeah. Awesome. So the first round of interviews was before lists were revealed, and now I mean we can we can shift gears into it because. Um, we can talk about what you're running because it's very different than what you told the podcast land you were gonna run. Oh
0: yeah man. So yeah like that's it oh, full, yeah.
3: full head fake three sixty was great or one eighty I should say. <laughs> um it was fantastic. Um but like yeah all the top players seem to be like move counter move a lot of cloaks and daggers a lot of like feints and everyone it's been musical chairs on armies. Everyone seems to have changed it up in, in that top ten. It's fantastic. What have you moved to, first of all? So just to give so, the people an idea, you were running... You were using a lot of Raven Guard Centurions. You were threatening to bring 24 of them. Yep. You were like Centurionception. It was a big deal yep. is what you were going to do. And then what happened?
0: And then... Oh, so basically, I, I had two options. One was the Possessed Star... And I was having so much fun with them. And a lot of success, actually. I went to Cali and um, I won all of my games with it on the weekend and came third. So I was really happy with the way that that had come. Well, actually, I lost to Harrison 14-6. Um, Who also I, has I, switched I, to Possessed Yeah, there. but I came third overall. And um, the, the, the Possessed Bomb is so much fun. So much, so much fun. And the build I was going to bring with it had no obliterators in. But instead, mm. I, put, I decided to put in three Plague Burst Crawlers three bloat drones and the minus four to hit lord discordant so i yeah. was like wow this is this is way 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 durable and it, it won't win games massively but it will it has play to win every game by three or four points yeah which is all you need to do so i was looking at that and then i was looking at the centurions and i was like "Ooh, i've had more practice with the centurions and mm. what i did was i had 24 but I went down to 23 to upgrade a character to a Chaplain. And then I went mm. down to 22 because it was pretty much a straight swap, just dropping one Assault Centurion to put in Apothecary to give all the rest of them a 6-up Fiona pain. And I was like, that's definitely a good trade, especially when he can bring one back a turn. He's yeah. probably a lot better than one Assault Centurion. So I was going to bring 22 Assault Centurions. And for everybody watching, I then came up with an Imperial Fist list like the night before, based on Malik's list. I came Uh up with this list and I was like, oh, my God, this is savage. So what I got Dan to do was play the 22 Centurions and there were no Centurions left by turn three.
3: So like you're both in your pajamas middle of the night, like we've got to make this work.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we we live streamed the game. We live streamed the game. We either actually did we live stream it or was it a battle report? I think it was a battle report, actually. It's coming out this weekend, guys. That battle (laughs) report is out this weekend and you will see why I took this list. And the yeah. thinking behind it was, so yeah, guys, that's what I've switched to, Imperial Fists. And it's very artillery heavy. And the reason why I switched to it was we thought it smashes hordes because I have a crap ton of shots, like a crap ton, crap ton of shots. But it also smashes vehicles because I get plus one damage to all of the shots and there yeah. are a crap ton of shots. So it's really good against horde and really good against vehicles. And I thought the one thing that would give me the most trouble will be a elite infantry army. Because I won't get plus one damage, and they'll have really good saves. So we thought, what's better than 22 Centurions with two up saves and six up Fiona Pains? And they just went down. They just went down so quick.
3: Well, well, I guess we'll find out because Nick Danavetti and Nick Rose both moved to White Scars. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, they've got tricksy lists. But it's such a change, man.
3: Jeez, Louis, so funny. I, I, I think it's great. It's fantastic. It's gonna give us lots to talk about. It's gonna be wonderful. So, I mean, with with all of that in mind, what do you think the top eight winds up looking like so, at the end? Because I think you were with me before and <coughs> thinking that it would be like almost all Marines at once. Yes, I think I, th- I heard you saying that. I think I still so, am. Yeah. I
0: think um, I think like six of the lists because everybody's going with three or four Marines. But I think there's going to be like six Marine builds up there for sure. Oh, yeah. I think there'll be like, personally, I think there'll be like one one Eldar player of okay. some sort. But I think it will be based purely on the fact that it will be somebody like Sean Naden who knows Eldar inside out. So it will be mm. a player who's very skilled with Eldar that will be able to take Eldar to the top. So I think it, someone like that on Eldar will make the top eight then yeah. also we'll see someone like either Jim Vessel or TJ Lanigan, possibly even Harrison, uh, as the one Chaos player we see up there. Matt it, Morisoli, we don't
3: yeah. want to shortchange the Aussie. There's yeah. some big hitters coming with Chaos, That's what I man. mean.
0: It's like somebody who's super skilled and is using Chaos will also make the top eight. But yeah. after that, I think there's going to be like five or six Marine players, being honest yeah. with you. Because yeah. I just think that somewhere along the way, these players that are running Eldar or Chaos will just hit a marine build that's really good against them maybe not necessarily a top 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 player but just the army is stacked against them and they will fall somewhere along the way
3: what what do you make of of uh, there's some been some <laughs> serious hype put behind the sort of the psychic awakening craftworld Eldar shoot, shooting builds <clears throat> how have they been performing in the UK because i'm sure you guys were hip to it as fast as it appeared how have yeah. they been doing? Are, is there as much there as maybe some of the Americans think there is?
0: Yeah, so there are quite a few of them. But what people are doing with the Eldar at the moment is a the Warlock Council. So everybody's yeah. running like a Warlock Council, and it will have like three Night Spinners behind it with some Shadow Weavers and stuff like that. So it's it's Eldar shooting, but what's in front of it is that Warlock Council.
3: Okay, so you haven't seen just someone going on. Like, have you heard Colin Sherman talk about his builds? Um, No. No. Okay. Anyway, we've had a couple
0: people over here using, like, um, for example, like three war walkers with all with missile launchers. Then like three, like um, three fire prisms and three falcons, and you've got those kind of lists as well. Yeah. And they've been doing pretty well as well. Um, But I think at the moment, just 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 marines and chaos just dominating everything. So uh, if you take uh, painting points out for Cali. Yeah. Um, because it was purely on painting points. So I, I actually came first on gaming score, uh-huh. uh, but because of painting points, I came third. So um, the podium would have actually looked like me in first with chaos. Uh, then um, uh, Chewy was up on the podium anyway with chaos, and also Vic. Yeah, and also Vic dropped from third to fifteenth because of painting penalties. So it, the podium was. The podium was pretty much looking like chaos, chaos, chaos.
3: That so podium, great, great segue opportunity there. What are your goals, sir, coming in to the LVO? I mean,
0: you're coming a long way. Yes, so I'm not, I'm not going in with like crazy, mad expectations or anything like that. But I have I said the words: love... when
3: Manny Chima shows up to a tournament, he wins it. That is what I've said. So, <laughs> so that's, that's I, the bar I've set. I would I've love to go
0: top you. eight, bro. I would love to go top eight, and I, I'm aiming for top eight, and then after that, just doing as well as I can. But um, I have known to be slightly lucky. Uh huh. So, uh. What, what character is that guy called? I oh, believe yeah. he's got a name.
3: I believe he has a name.
0: <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't know, man. I, um. The thing is, Jamie
3: example, Manny.
0: Jamie yes. Manny. <laughs> <is>, uh, <laughs> Jamie Manny is a thing, right? He, um, he comes out quite a bit. And, um, yeah. if, for example, at the LGT, three of my five games, because I was using Eldar planes, were like, Whoever goes first wins.
5: Uh-huh. And I
0: just went first in every single game at the LGT. All oh, five. I had to. Just went first, 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 first. <laughs> so maybe, you know, if I could do it in five games, could do it in nine.
3: Why not? Roll five. I literally said. <laughs> I, 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 roll fire. I literally said in the last interview and, and all kinds of times. I think this. if there was a year where someone could just go first nine times and win, maybe this is it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, um, the way that I've built the list is based on the terrain. So I'm Mm -hmm. really hoping that the terrain looks like the maps that have come out Yeah, because, um, those hills that are, they're not very thick. They're like two Mm -hmm. inches thick or something, but Mm -hmm. they're like four inches tall and 10 to 14 inches wide. Yeah. Now a Scorpius, sorry, three whirlwind Scorpius can quite easily hide behind one of those hills. And those hills are in every single deployment zone.
3: Yeah, once you get to the top 100, yeah.
0: Yes. Yep. So I, I think with gun lines going second, I can still give them a game, which is what I like because a load of marine games right now are whoever goes first. But I think going second, I can still give those kind of gun lines a game because they won't be able to see too much turn one. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I, I think, and I, I this is a pretty bold statement, and I not being cocky or anything like that, nothing no, to do with me no. or my player skill. This, this, is, but... this, is
3: safe. this is a safe place. No, one, no one's going to hear it.
0: But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, like, like I say, it's nothing to do with the way that I play, just the way that this list is built. I think if it goes first against anything at the moment, there is no chance.
3: <laughs> okay, so let's assume one person goes first against you in the, at the LVO. N- someone who's not yourself. <laughs> who do you think? Who do you think has the best chance to win the? LBO?
0: who do you think has the best chance to win the LBO? So, you know what? I actually think it's going to be player yeah. based. So, um, I I have three that I would like to like to pick. So, I think um, mm-hmm. Sean Naden if it's yeah. an Eldar player because he's right up there. And then personally, I think personally, I think TJ Ooh. if it's going to be a if it's going to be a if it's going to be a Chaos player, uh-huh. I think TJ. Just because he has mad like this yeah. with that list. And uh, I've been talking to him a lot about it, and he's ready. So I think maybe him. And I think if it's going to be a Marine build, I'm actually going to pick someone that I don't think anyone's really picked yet. And uh, I think it's going to be Malik. Malik! If it's not me, I think it's going to be Malik.
3: There it is! Good call. So it's going to be fun. And I think, yeah, the players will take it. Um, the skill will win it, and uh, it's going to be great. Do you have anything, before we let you go, that you would like to plug? I suspect you might.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, guys, um, I'm from Glasshammer Gaming, of course, and while I'm out there, I'll be running a masterclass uh, the day before the actual main event. It's on Thursday, and it is at 2 p.m. Uh, we already have eight people signed up for it, and it should be pretty cool. We're going to be going over, literally the best lists that are going and what we can do to get points from them. I think that's the main thing that people will want to know. Right.
3: And what time, what time is it? Because it's a bit of a it's, – it's what time is it at?
0: It's at 2 p.m. So I'm not quite sure where it is at the moment, what room it is. I'm, I'm assuming I'll find that out once I get there because, of course, like Reese and Frankie are super busy. But um, it will be at 2 p.m. on the Thursday. And, yeah, guys, uh, come along and check it out. It's, it's not ridiculous. It's, um, I've put it at $50 because it's my first one. So I would maybe just like to have 10 people there. So if there's two more... Two more awesome people out there that would like to come along and find out how to get more points against top metalists come and check it out
3: thank you so much for your time today it's been a lot of fun talking to you and uh best of luck out there i know we'll get you on stream for a few interviews over the course of the weekend
0: Ah, oh, awesome thanks bro uh thank you very much for having me on it's been awesome it's always fun having a chat
2: tournament news
0: Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer list writing and coaching service, and you're listening to the 40k Stat Center.
3: Ooh, fresh off the heels of that interview, we've got a real stunner for you here. I think this is one of Pete's favorite uh, players out there. The one and the only Matt Morisale. Pete, what inspires your passion for this gentleman?
4: I mean... (laughs) The guy is uh, an extremely good player, Um, arguably the greatest um, in Australia. He was number one last year. He puts up consistent results uh, frequently at the top table. If you look over at uh, Down Under Pairings and you go to the uh, stats sheets that they've created, which, by the way, guys, absolutely fantastic job um and you look at his record it's absolutely absurd they've collected data for several years of play for this guy and he's got like a 90 percent win rate he like yeah whether he goes first or second it doesn't matter he just wrecks his opponents his average uh, like victory points per game are over the like over the moon the guy is just awesome and then when you talk to him he's he's hilarious he's the absolute troll of my heart and my dreams um Just a great guy all around. And unfortunately, because of the like this global giant world that we live in, um, not a lot of people uh, talk about him, talk about this fantastic player that we have in this 40K community. And I think we need to start. We really need to start thinking about it. Uh, Kim, Eric Lathouris, there's a there's a whole crew down there that are just absolutely bonkers, crazy good at this game that we we kind of ignore because of where they are.
5: Yeah,
3: and you know, luckily um, they've got a good chip on their shoulder about that and they've uh, developed a few ways to, to get the word out and Stats Center exists to, give, exactly. to shine a light where it otherwise would not shine. Um, so Matt Morsali, in contrast to the two gentlemen we've heard from already, he's stuck to his guns. And maybe this is where we shift in the podcast from two guys who are trying to be as cutting edge as possible to two guys who are just sticking with what got them here. Uh, what do you think about that approach, and especially um, with the list that Matt's got?
4: Well, when you think about how, um, what I said earlier about this concept of if you're not able to get in the games uh, to uh, like flip your list on the drop of the hat against like top players consistently, um, it does make sense that you want to stick to something you know. But on top of that, um, sometimes what you know is actually like. Amazing, regardless. Uh, one thing I'll say about Morisoli is a lot of people, and even himself, would sometimes say like that um, he was running a Jim Vessel-style list, although he, in his terms it was more because he did it first. Um, but he's always played it differently. Um, he was way more into Zangor and Bloodletter bombs uh, than the, like the Vessel-style lists, but Jim would often run one. Uh, Morisoli's uh, frequently running two or three bombs in his lists uh, just so that he can keep up that pressure and just overwhelm his opponents. Um, and he's a crafty guy. Um, his summoning is always hilarious. I mean, uh, there was a whole meme about it in one event where he summoned a Plague Hulk up against, when he went up against Deathwatch, which was a, just a really poor matchup for him in, at, at the time. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm really curious to see how well he does. Uh, I think he is at least 5-1 and one capable, and he's like that dark horse pick for me. Like, if someone's going to get top 8 that no one expects, it's going to be Matt Morrisoli. Well...
3: Uh, you couldn't have a better intro than that. Let's go to the interview. You, Sir Matt Morisali, come um, very highly regarded, especially by the person who I depend on for all of my Warhammer related opinions, Peter the Falcon Colissimo. And uh, he says that you're a man of greatness. And I also know you because you won a badass prize last year, which is a free ride to the LVO. Am I right?
1: I said I won that last year, and I've just been looking forward to it for uh, the, entire, the entire season.
3: And what did you win? The free ride to the LVO four. What did what did what did you have to achieve in order to, to get that that golden ticket?
1: Uh, that was uh, first place in the South Pacific Australia. It's essentially the Australian ITC. It does include a few uh, Southeast Asian countries and New Zealand as well, but they don't really have the the volume of events for a winner to come uh, from those regions. So it's essentially the Australian ITC. All
3: right, cool. So so you're you're a big deal then.
1: Oh sure, <laughs> it's um. <laughs> Look, coming from someone who listens to a lot of the, the U.S. coverage of the ITC, the climate is very different. In Australia, we don't have super majors; we have one big event per year, uh, and it really comes down to who can travel to the biggest events. Um, right. The sort of the three or four guys who are in the mix for all the guys who are able to travel to the big events, because when we're talking, some of them are the shortest flight I can take is a you know two and a half three hour flight, which is ten hours driving.
5: Yeah,
1: uh, you know twelve hours driving to the nearest big city um it really just comes down to who can travel and a lot of people a lot of great players you know work doesn't permit that Mm -hmm. multiple times per year and all that that sort of thing and i I know again correct me if i'm wrong but over in the states you can sort of just drive you know 90 minutes two hours a lot of the time and get to you know decent sized events every week
3: well yeah well decent sized events sure but i mean like the real big ones so your nova's Chicago is where Decepticon is. Las Vegas, uh, for the LVO. I mean, these places are not close together, so they are they are pretty sure. spread out. You're you're hopping on a plane from in most cases for those, but that that's all right. Canada faces this problem too, and a lot of places, uh, it's it's hard to get to events. So that being said, how how is it possible that you got the uh, the bug to be a competitive Warhammer 40k player? Where did, where does that come from? Where where did your competitive part of your Warhammer start?
1: When I was about 17, 18, I really started getting into it. Uh, When I was a little bit younger than that, so sort of 15, 16 was when fifth edition came out. And I started playing Dark Eldar and that was quite a competitive rule set back then. Uh, I went to, you know, I've been going to tournaments for a little bit, but just sort of little ones, you know, here and there, we've got a few big hobby events that everyone used to paint armies up for, but they weren't really competitive tournaments. Uh, and my good friend Josh Diffie from uh, Down at the Network at the time was living in a share house. In a what kind of house? A, a share house. Oh, a, share a, house. What, what do you call it? Just, uh, yeah, like a group house. I don't know. Do you have a different word for that over there? No, um, I thought you
3: said share I house. I was, yeah. I was like, what's Oh no no no, the share no, house?
1: No, uh, no, that's no, not, not true. Uh, but um, they, they were uh, right into competitive 40K as well. And they both sort of burst onto the scene and brought a lot of this competitive nature and they, they were running events out of a local game store and stuff and they really brought competitive 40k to the area that i live in and what what era uh, was
3: I, this was this like like late seventh was this like then or even earlier no, that? Is like, this
1: it's like early uh early to mid fifth oh wow um, so okay. we're a, little, a little while back here uh and i was sort of lucky enough to get an invite into what the old gaming club they put together which was called the hammer house um because they played warhammer at their house um Fitting. and there was sort of six to 10 of us at that time. And that's when we really started putting in like proper high level practice, the sort of practice you don't get when you're playing pick up games at your local game store. It's four people standing around a table, really dissecting the game and the matchup and working towards optimal play. Yeah. Uh, And there, that sort of thing has just followed me through. So they ended up moving and that hammer house moved and we, we did the same thing there all through a lot of six Um, and that sort of broke apart. And then the new guard have come in and we still have the same, uh, sort of dynamic going on but it 's just it 's just about getting the models on the table and surrounding yourself with really good players and then working towards optimal play and that 's just f- figuring out g- getting every little ounce of efficiency out of every unit you can get even if your army is not you know the best top tier meta army is really what what gets me excited yeah uh, and that 's really what pushed me to you know to play i i i 've played you know i've played some medalists and I've played some off the wall lists, but I love playing just these slightly off meta things that have got tricks and like really cool ways of doing things yeah. and just pushing to get everything out of it. And that's, yeah, that's really where my competitive drive comes from.
3: So I've got to ask here, cause previous to eighth edition, the only thing I really knew of the Australian meta was a thing called community comp. And, uh, it yeah. was, it was an effort. Did, did you like, this does not sound like the same world you were living in at this hammer house. Like so, how did how did you guys fit in? Because did you guys have a very conservative meta, like as far as competitive scene was was concerned, or were there like ITC style tournaments or etc style tournaments taking place that like actual competitive players would enjoy, or did you like the competitive comp thing?
1: So funny you should mention that community comp was actually built out of the second Hammer House. So Matt Antonello actually pioneered that. Oh nice! Um, a lot of them were actually there on the night where this sort of inception of this idea came about. Uh, and what it really was, we, we have a very big sort of hobby centric community. Uh, and we were struggling to get people to come. We we had comp events and no comp events back then. That's just how things were. You know, you got a comp score or you, or you played, you know, with no comp. And, you know, no comp was on the nose for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and this was sort of the attempt to standardize that. So you could, again, get them, like, take, take some interesting unit combinations. So rather than taking, you know, in today's meta, you know, your three Thunderfire cannons, your Repulsor, right. your six planes. You'd play something a little bit less efficient. You'd play, you know, oh, you might have, you know, a dev squad and some dreadnoughts and bits and pieces, and it would kind of function the same way. You know, you'd have a shooting base, you have a couple of power characters in there, but instead of having the most efficient of everything, you'd end up just playing with a more balanced out level of that, mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of same, the concepts that still apply. Like you're still trying to get the most out of those units. So I, I actually quite enjoyed it uh when it was, you know, in full swing, but. At the same time, we have you know we have ATC, which isn't the same as the American ATC. It's more like the ETC, where right. every state puts a team together, right. and we'd always be building towards that, and we'd be you know trying to break down the best possible list for that. Um, so I, I found the mix used to be really really good.
3: That was the ETC format using ETC FAQ at the time, I assume.
1: Yeah, so the our ATC always uses the uh, the current ETC mission pack at list sub, and it's traditionally um you know a month or so before the atc or a little bit more than that uh ever since you know we we were putting teams together that weren't particularly atc competitive back in the day uh but we were still the same mission format just so you know those guys could get practice the reps in other people who are doing their best to win and actually you know getting those high level uh practice games in for those guys but it was you know it was the pinnacle of competitive 40k in australia for for quite a long time
3: yeah it's a cool tournament i love i love following that when it's when it's happening actually the the atc to be honest with you is, is awesome I, I like the idea of uh because like in in north america there's the the club championship like there's atc and then you'll have other sort of club style team tournaments and i think it'd be amazing to have sort of like a sub-national like states and provinces type throw down be sweet
1: right you you meet the best people that way and that's how you know that, that that's essentially how our e t c team in twenty nineteen became so strong yeah. it's because people met each other through these repeated like you, you you play against the best players in every state once a year and you you know you you form really cool friendships and you you know you expand that group of people that you have working on the best possible lists to you yeah. know other local metas it, just, it brings it all together and it helps make your competitive community really strong
3: yeah so for yourself then what was your you know your first big, it could be you know, individual accolade that you uh, you bagged as a competitive 40k player. When you look back, what would what would be like that first symbolic trophy on the shelf for
1: yourself? Look, it probably depends on how you look at it. So, I won a couple of you know, small RTTs back when I was quite young and wasn't really sort of you know, like, like I wasn't really aware of what all competitive 40k had to offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, during fifth and sixth, like I said I won, I won a, a few GTs. I won. A couple of invitational events that were quite big so josh who i mentioned earlier used to run uh these events at the local game store and he just invite the best players yeah so for me winning, winning one of those uh was probably my my first real taste of okay i'm actually uh, i can actually compete with the best players around and that's probably what drove me on further uh, i won arcanicon 40k one year which is not the most competitive event for those who know it but it's the biggest, well, at the time it was the biggest event, it would have been, you know, almost 200 players.
3: That's a big deal. Um, That's still a big tournament.
1: Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that format's a bit, a bit funny. But um, uh, look, in, in recent memory, winning winning WinterCon, when we had probably the strongest top field, uh, so earlier this year, uh, was was probably the big one uh, for this season. But look, because I've been playing for so long, it's hard to really pinpoint yeah. one or, or even a couple of events that are, Really, the ones, but but winning that first invitational event—I can't even remember what it was called, to be uh, honest—is probably, you know, what really pushed me to 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 keep going and to improve and to to want to play more. Uh,
3: You know, I'm the same way. It's hard for me to pick the the GT win Uh, for me. That's the means the most uh, uh, out of none of them that I've won. Aside from that, what is your favorite faction? What do what is if you had your druthers, what would you be playing?
1: I I play Chaos Man. I love it. Um, I, I've dabbled in a lot of other armies, uh, and as a Dark elder were kind of my first love. Uh, but ever since, uh, like going back to the ATC days, Josh Jiffy also plays Chaos, and back when he was playing, he'd always get it because he was a better player than I was back then. Um, and as soon as I've sort of stepped into that role, it's just it's all I want to play. I, you know, I, I love the I love the aesthetic of the army. I love the way that it plays. I, just, I think the models are super cool, um, yeah. and just. Yeah, being, being the bad guy's fun, you know?
3: Coming into the LVO, you're probably pretty high up in the, in the general ranks, but what was the shape of your year? How did it progress for you?
1: Uh, I believe I'm sitting at about 20th or 21st at the moment, which is unfortunately kind of as high as you can go yeah. without the Super Majors. Um, but look, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, really, look, with last year, so in, in, uh, in August of 2019, we sent Australia's most successful ETC team uh, over to Serbia. Yep. Uh, and the majority of my year up to them was just focused on that. So I wasn't playing as much ITC. And if I was going for, you know, going for the season win, that's what I would have been doing. But really it was just about putting our uh, our best foot forward to try and get a good result. Cause we weren't sure if we were going to go again. We weren't sure if we were going to send what we we're essentially calling the dream team again.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so the start of the year was like really just, it was just full of ETC practice events. I wasn't playing a whole heap of, uh, of ITC. Um, I wanna like I said, quite quite a few local events, just little GTs and like RTTs here and there. Getting the the WinterCon win was really really big, um, especially because I beat a, an, an ETC teammate on the top table. Uh, literally the week before we headed over there, it just it it was a good win to get because it really put me in the uh, the right winning, confident mindset going into a uh, into ETC. Yeah. Since then, I've as I said I've, I've won a. Uh, I won a tournament called Moab in Sydney, which is seventy odd players, sixty odd players. I don't remember the exact number they they ended up getting, but I would actually say ITC wise, it's been a relatively quiet season compared to the uh, the twenty nineteen season that I that I won for South Pacific.
3: Okay, so coming into the uh, to the LVO now, why don't we why don't we move over to that? What are you playing? You know, lists have been submitted. We don't have to be so cagey now. What what are you playing at the LVO, sir?
1: So I'm playing a very similar list to what I've been playing all year. I haven't haven't dropped the Plague Bearers, I've kept the Plague Bearers, I've kept the uh, the Thousand Suns, and I've just replaced the extra demons I was running before uh, with some Night Lords. Just a, a little bit of tech. Um, you know, a few little bits and pieces. I don't think the Bloodletters letters are really good enough to be in the list anymore. So they've come out and I've replaced them with a couple of characters that are gonna try and do the same sort of job and project some damage. But mm-hmm. Re- really, like if if you look at it, it looks like a list from you know, from a couple of months ago, and I'm not sure if I'm taking too big of a gamble here and sticking with you know with the the plague bearers and the smites and all that sort of thing. I guess it's going to remain to be seen if you know my, my my year or so playing that list and all the reps I've got in on it is going to uh to be enough to hold up against the marines. Mm-hmm. But it's um yeah, not not a whole heap has changed honestly.
3: Everyone who's in that top ten has probably changed armies twice. Like in the last two weeks, like they, they yeah. they've all like been rumored to be playing something different than they were playing originally, except for maybe TJ, and uh, and then and then was rumored to be playing something else, and now they've submitted like a completely different list from that. So like you are sticking to your guns. What? Why? What? What makes you feel like that's the right choice rather than making some sort of meta call?
1: Uh, I'm a pretty keen believer that faction mastery is key. Um, we saw. At, when we're at ETC our best performing players like Liam and myself were both playing armies um, that we've been playing for a year and just the ability to dig yourself out of bad situations because you've been in that matchup a hundred times is is so important and I felt like if I switch I, I, I had someone offered me uh, to borrow their marine army, which was exactly what I would have played had I played marines yeah uh, and I Played a couple of games with it. I was giving you know other people a hand, testing out their lists, playing into those lists, and I was I was winning games with them. But I just felt like I didn't have the the flexibility and the the cunning to play that list the way that I'll play the chaos list. Yeah. Uh, and I just I, I think that sticking to your gun sometimes and playing what you know. And I feel like having you know, having played this army for most of the twenty nineteen se- uh, twenty eighteen season and all of the twenty nineteen season is probably going to give me the best chance of doing well.
3: Wow. Okay. Fantastic. I mean, you and Jim, I mean, although Jim did switch out, I think he's still doing the uh, possessed bomb, but
1: we'll we'll see how that goes for him. I I do like the tricks it's got. Um, We're having a chat about it the other day, but I I don't don't know. We'll see uh, if he can, if he can make it work for himself.
3: What are your goals then coming into the LVO?
1: Everyone wants to win. I don't think I'm going to win. I don't think, I don't even think I'm going to make top eight, to be honest, but that is the goal. I'll be pretty happy with five and one. It's my, my first time playing in america it's mm-hmm. my first time playing an event that's over 200 people like the oh the, the esc got just over 200 people but that's in a a format that i'm very familiar with so it'll just be it'll, it'll be interesting to see how we go but f- five and one i'd be happy with um making the top eight would be great and i'd be i'd be stoked on it but i do sort of have the feeling that i'm gonna play one too many space marine players and have a few things go wrong and this army is very susceptible to having a bad psychic phase and falling over, and yeah, not not having such a great time on the back end of the game.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you've been testing against some of the monsters of the meta, right? Like, it's not like you're just hoping for the best here.
1: Oh, I'm so sick of playing against Space Marines, to be honest. <laughs> I, uh, it, yeah, I, just just yesterday I played four or five games L- LVO lists actually came out halfway through the day. So we pivoted from what we were playing and I tested against a few of the other top players, yeah. uh, players lists. Um, it did do pretty well. So I'm not sure that, uh, you know, the the guys I was playing would, uh, would have played it quite as well as the other blokes would have, but um, it's definitely got the, got the guts to give them a game. And I think that, it looks like it doesn't on paper but once you sort of see a few of the things that you know the new tech can do yeah uh it'll actually it'll it'll definitely give some submarine lists a really good game
3: what then are your predictions for the top eight
1: oh I, I, look i think you can't deny that space marines or blood angels are going to get in there um i think you're probably looking at three or four space marine lists i think a blood angels list uh that has death company is going to go first six times and it's going to make it into the top eight <laughs> okay I actually haven't looked through how many of them there are. So maybe there aren't enough Blood Angels armies to do that. But uh, there are quite a have, Blood been,
3: Angels are the biggest Astartes non Marines list, if that made any sense, how I said that. But yeah. you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. I, I have a very good Blood Angels player in my area who I play against a little bit. And knowing what the Death Company do when they go first, if you're not prepared for it, or even if you are sometimes, I feel like, you know, there's a very real possibility that Death Company go first, even five games and just, you know, brute force wins. Yeah. Uh, and beat, beat players they have no business beating because the Death Company went first and killed everything. I don't know, there are a lot of good Blood Angels players. I know that there are quite a... I've, I've seen them on, on various streams and here and there, and I think that a lot of people have put their Blood Angels away because they, they were quite competitive in would have been fifth or sixth as well. So people mm-hmm. have got Blood Angels armies hanging around. It's like, like the Space Marine problem. And I think one of them will get in for sure. Uh, I think a Chaos player will make it, whether it's myself... Jim or, or TJ or, you know, I don't know. Mark Perry's list looks pretty interesting. So maybe that one will get, you know, all the way in.
2: yeah uh,
1: And, yeah, look, I, I think it's hard to bet against Sean Naden, given his record as well. I, I, I've i got no idea what he's doing with that army, but he'll probably pull some uh, some, some Sean Naden magic and find himself a, a spot in there. Yeah. Is that, is that eight? Is that three, four, five, six? Oh yeah probably one probably one more marine player then that's that was only seven list so okay. four marines blood angels chaos Eldar, that's only seven i don't know okay. last one will be something off the wall i reckon it'll be a, a list that has no business being in in the top eight
3: you but... think you think you think they, the great marine filter won't get rid of that guy eh? he'll still be able to weasel his way through the the the, the ghost round
1: I think a lot of the space marine players mm-hmm. on their on that guy's way to the top eight are going to be uh, substandard players playing with a really good list. Not 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 meaning any offense to anyone, but just players who are less experienced, piloting a very strong list, and that there are lists with jank that'll just that'll beat them yeah and that guy will find himself in the shadow round and you know get a good matchup in the shadow round. you're in the top eight
3: you know and just hosting sat center and, and talking to people all the time uh, you know in the last couple of months there have been a number of guys have been like yeah Soul just uh dusted off the old warhammer toys like last week and i just wanted something straightforward and i won the gt <laughs> you know like it just it, it can just happen well, when you when you when you have it so we'll see i've been joking about this I,
1: I don't- we have that happen a lot over here. We have, again, I was talking about this sort of the old competitive scene from back in fifth and sixth that, and these guys still rear their heads every now and then. And there are some really good players who aren't playing tournaments that just turn up with whatever they've got on their shelf and go, you know, four and one, five and one, and really give the, uh, you know, the the new guys, a, a real challenging game. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see someone turn up like that and just pull an army out that they've got and realize it's got some cool new rules. And, actually do really well or you, or the converse of that is that you have someone who's really really good and they bring a an interesting list like, like andrew Gonyo's sister's list that uh was on uh, art of war this week yeah. uh, we have a, a local player playing something very similar to that and they're doing really well as well so there's all sorts of little uh you know tricky imperium lists or, or even other chaos lists that can really give marines a good game and you, know, you only need to have one, you know, one good matchup. Once you make it to that shadow round, and you're you're in the top eight.
3: Before we wrap it all up, this is the big question we've been asking everybody, other than yourself, who is your pick to win the LVO?
1: Before I saw lists, I would have said Nick Manavadi. Oh, burn! Oh no, I don't mean any <laughs> disrespect, to him. Um, but I think I think the move to White Skies is a mistake. Uh, I thoroughly rate Manny Chima's list, um, and I think he's a uh, if if I had to pick, I think Manny Chamber would win.
3: I'm gonna have to compile the uh the the, the top players, top picks after this because I feel like Manny is maybe the favorite from the players we've pulled.
1: I uh, I just don't wanna I, I don't wanna lose to him, so I'm just hoping that I uh that I jinx him along with everyone else saying that he's gonna win and uh, <laughs> I, I unfortunately, you know, knocks him stuff out early on, so sorry, not sorry.
3: Yeah, we'll see. I believe he said something like, "If I go first, there's no way I can lose." Something like that. I don't know. It was a pretty bold boast in his interview. You'll hear it when you listen to this one.
1: Oh, I I bet his list yesterday, and I went second.
3: Okay, okay. There you go. There
5: you go. <laughs> Little
3: chin music. All right. So before we let you go, my friend, is there anything you'd like to tell the people? Anything you want to plug? Anything you'd like to uh, to say before we uh, we kick things
5: off?
1: Uh, look, look, not personally, but I will give a a big shout out to the uh, the guys at Down Under Network who are now streaming uh, with Art of War starting next year. So Josh and Adam over there, I know Adam will be joining you uh, oh, yeah. for your stream next week. I can't wait to uh, to catch up with him over there. But uh, yeah, they, they're going to be putting out some really cool contents uh, under the the Art of War banner, um, yeah, along with the other guys over in the states who are doing that. So they're a, a good group of lads, and they deserve your you know, your Twitch your sub or your follow or whatever the free one is, just even that one,
3: the prime one that um, was on prime.
1: That, that's it. Yeah. Give him, give them a prime sub and, you know, <laughs> go them some love because I, I, I do think that everyone keeps their eyes on the U S meta, but there are some really amazing Australian players as you know, we showed at ETC this year and you can get just as much out of watching a stream from one of our events as you can when there's, you know, no U S event on that weekend and you want to watch a bit of content. So give them a, give them a look, give them a follow and, yeah, maybe you'll uh you'll you'll see the uh the the next best Australian player playing on there one day because I don't don't get the same volume of yeah you know, views and stuff as the American events do. But yeah, there are some very good players there.
3: Hey, um, I think that's mostly a function of time zones. Because uh, certainly the quality of quality of coverage and the quality of play uh is is definitely there. So don't 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 feel like the world doesn't respect you. And one of the coolest things about doing Stat Center has been able to talk to uh, people and the best players from all around the world, and Australia especially. You guys have got a lot of cool, fun stuff going on down there, so lots to be proud of. And I get to hang out with Adam for like three days, and I get to meet you. It's gonna be great. We'll get you on the stream, do a little interview after you destroy Manichima going second. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, absolutely no disrespect by that at all. Man is a, a very good player. I'm sure he'll play it much better than uh, than the bloke I played yesterday did. <laughs>
3: I tell you, the, the every single person I've talked to, and you guys are all really, really good at this game, have been wonderful humans, and they've all been wonderful chats. And it's gonna be nothing but collegial competition out there, I'm sure. So you can talk as much fake shit as you want about Manichima. He won't be he won't be mad. He'll be dressed like Batman, though. So he takes himself very seriously. Just so you know.
1: That's incredible. As long as he uh, wraps an Australian flag, you know, around his neck as a cape when I beat him, uh, we're all good.
3: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you might have to supply it, but I'm sure you'd oblige.
1: I've got, I've got one, mate. I've got one ready to go. <laughs> tournament news. It's Diff. And Adam.
3: From The Art of War Down Under.
4: And Down Under Pairings, where we deliver tournament coverage so fresh, it's, it's in, in the, the future. future. And you're listening to 40K Stats Act.
3: And now we come to our eighth and final interview of the 40K Stat Center Grim and Dark in Las Vegas series. Of course, it would not be complete with at least one champion, the reigning champion of the ITC and the LVO, none other than the hometown hero, former hometown hero to Frontline Gaming, Brandon Grant.
4: Pete, how excited are you here from the champ? Um, I don't think I could get more excited. Brandon Grant is the pinnacle of interviews. The man is so concise. Um, His answers are so well thought out and yet so fast. It's almost as if he is some kind of robot. Unfortunately, though, this year, uh, Brandon's kind of taken a year off from the event. I mean, the guy did get married, so that kind of does put a damper on things. But, I mean, look at Pamprene Pampereen Pam got married, and he didn't take a year off. He, he sucked at a bunch of events and clocked out, but he's still, what, 10th in ITC? Regardless, uh, Brandon did go to about seven events this year. He hasn't won anything. He did come in second at Slaughterfest, which is a big deal. That was a very stacked event. Um, But I think the big story for Brandon has been um, that he has stuck to his guns and he's been playing mono guard um, since the death of the Castellan. Uh, And that's something that very few other players, especially of his caliber, can say that he has uh, stuck to a um, uniformly underperforming faction. Uh, in guard with that uh, cast lid nerf and still managed uh, to consistently top table and just be a force that everyone is afraid of. Um, when you talk to anybody at SoCal or at BAO or any other event, no one wants to play Brandon Grant because the man is a genius. And he just, like, like I said earlier, he, he thinks of things at a, at a higher level than most.
3: And I think, too, he uh, wanted to lean on uh, an army that he not only is passionate about, but uh, but knows uh, very well. What do you think of the list, though, that he's bringing? Because we obviously Brandon and I talk about it, but uh, I thought it was super cool. What do you think about it?
4: I mean, it's a list. It's a guard. I think it's the best iteration of a guard list that you can currently make. Um, the Demolisher Cannon Tanks do work, uh, especially against Marines, which is something that you need to be worried about, um, of course, with them being 27% of the meta. Um, and yeah, his his move to kind of adding a little bit of Talarn, a little bit of other uh, tricks, they'll do him justice. They'll do him well, whether he can compete at uh, an event with, you know, 27% of the lists being Marines. But not just that, but of those 27, You know, the majority of that top, say, 25, the guys that are expected to uh, to uh, hit that uh, top eight um, playing that faction. I think he's going to have a rough road. If anyone can do it, it's him. But it's going to be a rough trek.
3: All right. Well, we know that if anything, Brandon is going into this with eyes wide open and he's going to take it one game at a time. The Bill Belichick of competitive 40K. Here he is, Brandon Grant. What was the moment you got into specifically competitive 40K? Because it is a bit of a different thing than just Warhammer in general. What, what hooked you into the comp scene?
6: I did a lot of RTTs and Garage Hammer before getting into competitive. So I played for years super casually. And then uh, the first competitive event I went to was actually the LVO 2015. And after that, I was hooked. Um, the level of gameplay at that LVO there were people there that I played. I'd never seen them play the game that way before. And it revolutionized how I think about playing competitive 40 K.
3: What do you think it is about comp 40 K specifically? Cause I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're a grown-up dude with good, good professional income. You could have lots of different hobbies and interests. What is it about this one that really captures your imagination?
6: 40 K has lots of things to like. And just about anything other than painting gets me into this game. Painting is a chore, but modeling, um, putting nice-looking armies in pleasing arrangements on the table, uh, playing a deep strategy game, the banter at the table, um, all of that's really, really great. So I'd say what keeps me coming back is the level of complexity, and actually the randomness actually comes into play quite a bit. So I feel like if I was to be a professional chess player, I would just be doing a lot of memorization of what are the correct moves and what, what to do when. But all the outcomes, the only the only uncertainty is what move my opponent will make, not when my opponent makes a move, what will the outcome be. So 40k has that random chance element, and I think when it's done right, it forces you to reassess, and it ensures that there's no... Well, it helps to ensure that there's no one strategy that is unbeatable in this game.
3: Yeah, and hey, there's... There's something about humans and, and random outcomes, right? We, as monkeys, we seem to really get a kick out of uh, you know, unlikely things happening r- when we want them to happen. You know, Vegas exists for a reason. A, fo- a football has two
6: pointy ends. Ironically, I will say, I do not like gambling in Vegas. Every time I've tried it, I've hated it.
3: My favorite uh, perverse pleasure about the LBL being in Vegas is everyone is always like, Oh, going to Vegas, eh? Oh, going to Vegas. What happens if Vegas stays in Vegas, eh, bud? like yeah man and we're doing like the most innocent thing in vegas uh, that has ever happened so it's fantastic on the weekend of the AVN awards no less and uh, we're putting it on the internet so we're cam girls in our own way um all right so what's your year been like last year of course one of the greatest finishes in the young history of the itc uh, obviously in epic fashion versus alex harrison at the lvo you you bag both the uh the ITC crown and the LVO championship. And then what happened? What what does what your 2019 season year look like?
6: One of the reasons I did so well is I'm kind of a mono faction player and that faction has been Imperial guard for years. Uh, so I'm extremely good at that one army and at LVO 2019, that one army was top tier. So it was competitive. I could take it to the highest levels of competitive play and it would do well um, this year. That's no longer the case after about, what, August of this year, so it's a lot more of a struggle, but um, that's been part of my year, is dealing with an army that has slid a little bit from its top slot. I don't want to be ignorant here, but you weren't playing Mono Faction Guard last year. I was not, but Guard is the one army I understand the best. Got it. And, um... Every army I've played in eighth edition has had a very heavy guard influence. Okay. So uh, I've been playing mono guard before the Castellan and now I'm playing Mono Guard after the Castellan. Right. Um but I also got married this year. Uh so that that was a lot of work. Yep. Not really for me compared to my wife, but it took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And um Married Life is good, but um We'll see what 2020 holds for me, but 2019, I slowed down a little bit. Didn't travel to quite as many faraway events and kept things more local. But yeah, I mean, (sighs) my philosophy is always to play as well as I possibly can at the table. But that doesn't necessarily translate into me always, always uh, buying the latest and greatest or pursuing the latest and greatest strategies. In fact, I'm probably slow on the uptake to figure out what the latest and greatest meta is. But once I've got those models on the table, that's what my focus is on is, okay, I have these pieces. How do I play with them the best I can possibly do? Even still, I mean, you've had some great finishes
3: this year. Uh, you had an awesome rally back at, at uh, the uh, SoCal Open. I think you, you, you went five and won the hard way. Uh, which yes. Was, which was cool to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's obviously been a been a tumultuous but but good season for you. Now, why? I mean, obviously you've said you know you're most comfortable with guard. You really like guard, all that kind of stuff. But you know why? What what is it that makes you want to stick? You know, stay true to that faction? Because we talked to, by the way, a couple of guys: T.J. Lanigan, uh, Jim Vessel. Um, you know, they have held true. They're not they're not turning their backs on Chaos. Matt Morsoli not going to leave Chaos. They are dyed in the wool Chaos fans. They're not doing it. Meanwhile, you know, uh, other guys uh, in, in this in this series, they've, you know, changed armies maybe two, three times in the last month, you know, getting ready, trying to make this decision, make their meta call. What is it about sticking with your horse that... Uh, that? Why do you do that? What, what makes you want to do that?
6: I still have fluff bunny tendencies. And if you're going to play 40K and not get into role-playing aspect or the background aspect a little bit, then I don't think you're playing 40K for the full reasons you could be. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the background of Guard really appeals to me. Number one, number two, I really love military history, and it's easy to translate that into Imperial Guard very easily. So, yeah, I like armies that have sort of a human drama element to them, number one. Number two, the play style of Guard really suits me. Um, It's very easy to make a Guard-style army list that says, if we just sit in our deployment zones, then uh, I'm going to take this game. So it's up to you to try and figure out how to change that. Um, And the army I'm running now is more of a hybrid just because 40K is so varied. Even though Guard traditionally does that, there's plenty of armies nowadays that are like, "Uh, actually, if you stay in your deployment zone, I will win. Right. Um, So it's still sort of a hybrid in terms of sometimes I have to go forward, sometimes I have to hold back. And I've found that if I can identify correctly ...what I should be doing in terms of being aggressive or defensive that I tend to do very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are always exceptions. Like um, one of my latest games at Dice Hammer was Iron Hands Flyer Spam with a Repulsor Executioner with the Iron Stone and the new Baby Carriers... On planet bowling ball there was one piece of line of sight blocking terrain and with eight inches of movement at least on all of the iron hands models They could always see around it after their movement phase, right? So going second into that was an exercise in futility, right, but um, you know Other than that usually if the terrain permits I can make it a game. Yes, uh, but as long as I know Okay, this is what I need to be doing in order to win, and I can plan it out. I feel very confident in my ability to pull off some ridiculous games as was evident at LVO last year.
3: So LVO, good good segue. It's uh, you you're getting good at this podcasting business. What do you think of the LVO meta? Because I I've, I've been mentioning this to a lot of people like you're staying still while the world, while, while the world kind of moves a bit around you. As you're trying to make the guess at what the meta is really going to shape up to be specifically for the LVO. Do you find it kind of interesting that there isn't a lot of events giving a hint at it coming into it. It's kind of a blind corner in that way.
6: I do find that interesting, but there's a few things that I definitely expect. Um, For one of them, I expect that horde armies, like hordes of cultists, plague bearers, uh, guardsmen, those armies are not very popular anymore just because Thunderfire cannons exist. And if you're trying to move your infantry horde across the board the uh, Space Marine player spends three CP and none of your infantry units move. Right. So that is definitely less prevalent. Um, so for example, uh, a friend of mine, Jeff Poole, plays Orcs. He had three squads of boys start on the board, all squads of 30. One of them got deleted. The other two got slowed. So even with the jump, he can't get into combat. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat. So he basically never had to leave his deployment zone, which is insane. Um, so yeah, I don't expect Horde meta at all. Um, or I expect it to be a spoiler list or a gatekeeper list where you might face it in rounds one, two, or three, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to face it four, five, six. On top of that, I think that invulnerable saves are king. I'm going to see a lot of armies with invulnerable saves that are quite strong just because there's a lot of AP two and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of AP four and five. Yeah. Thanks to
3: space. Crazy amounts of AP now. Yeah, (laughs) because of all the stacks. Uh, AP modifiers, yeah, Space Marines.
6: I also expect to see lots of AP 4 and 5 character Dreadnoughts, uh, especially the Chaplain Dreadnought, because it got a points reduction, and is BS2. I mean, talk about unnecessary point changes, but moving on. Uh, So what I expect to see in this meta, I expect to see Eldari Flyer Spam with the plus damage, um, what do you call it, Craft World, uh, flying around. So you get something like 8 or 9 Flyers, maybe some Night Spinners, maybe some Wave Serpents. um, I don't know, just an extremely resilient vehicle army that can hit Space Marines really hard. Yeah. I expect Chaos Lists with plenty of Invulns and plenty of Psychics so that you can just smite those damn Ironstone buffed uh, Iron Hands out of the sky because mm-hmm. you can't dodge smite. No save on smite. So Centurions, they don't like smite. Um, I also expect melee-based fast Space Marines to be a thing, particularly White Scars with their advance and charge. Um For one thing, they can ambush and then reliably get into combat so the Thunderfire Cannon doesn't affect them. And number two, they hit like a truck. Uh, So So
3: were you you aware of the Nick Rose, Nick Natavati pivot to White Scars?
6: um, Yeah, I am aware of that. And I think that in a Marine meta, if you're thinking of a, um, what do you call it, a mirror match, where your Space Marines, their Space Marines, I think the melee Space Marines beat the shooty Space Marines. Fascinating. So for me, I'm less afraid of the melee Space Marines. I have a lot of bodies, and I can screen for two or three turns against that list, but the shooting Marines list gives me fits because mm-hmm. as long as there's not enough line of sight-blocking terrain, uh, they're going to take half my army off the board each turn. Like, no joke. What are you specifically bringing to the LVO?
3: What, now that now lists are out, you know everything's revealed, uh, you can speak more freely than our first episode, so what are you bringing?
6: Okay, easy. Um, so knowing what the opposition's going to look like, um, I know that terrain is going to be very important, but based on my experience, only one or two pieces of terrain uh, will be able to hide maybe one or two vehicles. Um, but I need more than one or two vehicles of firepower if I'm going to try and keep up with some of these armies. So, so that uh, don't mean to interrupt you,
3: Minichima was very um, like he pivoted like last second when he saw what the permanent uh, what, what the standardized tables were going to be. So he moved to uh, all Imperial fists like artillery with three uh, whirlwind Scorpius. Because he thinks he can hide those things no problem behind the four-inch walls on the standardized table. I don't know if you caught those.
6: Um, I think that he can hide two of them. And I think you can hide all the Thunderfire cannons because those things are small. But three of them, I believe one of them will always be able to be visible. Um, And I think that's a great pivot on his part. Just because there's going to be a lot of cover providing terrain and Imperial fists are going to ignore it. But he's still going to want melee answers if he's going to go mass artillery because (sighs) that's the counter to the Space Marine meta right now is a melee-based Marine army is going to give you fits, um, especially if you have trouble slowing them because they're Raven Guard or White Scars and just appear – and take you down.
3: And I interrupted you. You were talking about being able to hide artillery and having trouble with that. That's why I
6: said So that. first of all, basilisks are the one piece of artillery that actually participates in the Marine Meadow. Wyverns do nothing to space marines. So those are good. I'm taking two of them. I'm taking the artillery formation. The artillery formation gives the ability to ignore cover. So if you're seeing stealthy artisans, you can have a basilisk with AP-3 ignores cover, shoot twice with rerolls to hit, which is something like seven or eight hits depending on your dice rolls with Catachans uh, at Strength 9, AP 3, D3. So expected result is a dead Thunderfire Cannon. So if your opponent only has one Thunderfire Cannon, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, well, you can spend 4 CP and take take some points out of their list in the most important part. So for example, I had an opponent take Aggressors. All the Aggressors died turn 1. Didn't matter that he couldn't see them. Basilisk's like, I ignore cover, get out of the game. <laughs> um, so... That's a nice part of the list, but the Basilisk can't ever be hidden. They're too big. If you've ever tried to place a basilisk, got a line of sight, you'll understand. Um, number one, so it's like, okay, I need a lot of firepower, but I'm not going to be able to hide enough of my vehicles. So what I did was I took a mixed Catachan and Talarn detachment, and I, instead of having three Talarn tank commanders, only have two, and one of my tank commanders is Catachan, combined with two Catachan regular Leman Rust battle tanks for a total of five Leman Rust battle tanks— three of which have Demolisher cannons, two of which have Battle cannons, the Tank Commanders all have Plasma, and a couple LAS cannons thrown in.
3: How excited are you about running that many Lehman Russ? Um, Just uh, as a matter of principle. As a matter
6: of principle, my army looks like it's right off the front Codex cover of a guard book. Seriously? Um, You know, two artillery pieces, five Lehman Russ battle tanks, 90 Guardsmen, nine (laughs) Bulgrims, and some characters is a very killy guard army. And again, the whole point of the list is, I need the firepower in order to keep up, and I need redundancy and resiliency to get through this meta. So even if I can't hide all my Layman Russ, I have 135-point Demolisher cannons running around, and yeah, they'll be the only tanks you can see, but they're still not easy to take down for their cost. 135 points for T8-12 wounds is not bad. Um, and yes, I don't have invuls, so your AP-5 is just going to eat them for breakfast. But if you're targeting the regular demolishers, you're not targeting my tank commanders, and the tank commanders do a lot of work. So the game plan is I can hide the two tank commanders that start on the board, a Catachan and a Talarn with battle cannons, outflank a demolisher cannon, Talarn tank commander, start the two Catachan demolishers in a threatening position, use the Vigilus formation so that even when I arrive with the Demolisher from reserve, and or move in advance one of the regular Katachan tanks, because all of the tanks are in the Vigilus formation, I can still double-tap the Demolisher cannon when I need to. So the range, the threat range, is much greater. And then, yes, I only have a 24-inch range, so I'm vulnerable to melee, so I need the 9 bulgarin to be there to just say, mm-hmm. look, if you come closer, these guys are so ridiculously tough, they're going to be able to handle your melee unit. Mm-hmm. So even something like Assault Centurions can bounce off of Bulgrin's if I take the Grand Strategist Warlord trait combined with a CP reroll. So I have two rerolls to their saves and a 3-plus invulnerable save. So they're going to at least have a chance to absorb that charge and then just back up and you get removed with Demolisher Cannons. Sounds like a party, man. I can't wait to see how this all pans out. How you been doing in testing? In testing, um, all the different pieces of the list need to work together perfectly. So against not Marines, this list is insane. Like, um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then against Marines, if I get every little piece, like all the character buffs, all the uh, tank orders, use all the different CP abilities that I know by heart. So for example, a subtle one people don't think of is you can spend a command point as a guard player to have an officer issue one more order than they normally would have been able to, which includes tank commander orders. So if right. I need to, I can have the Katachan tank commander yell at the demolisher cannons to shoot better for one CP or to uh, blow smoke after shooting. It's just every little detail. If I get all of it working together perfectly and I know how the game needs to go and I know which units need to be deleted when, I think the list can work very well. But it comes down to movement and it comes down to knowing the list well enough to know when do I outflank the tank commander, when do I not outflank the tank commander, when do I spend CP on artillery and when do I leave it be, what warlord traits to take. If I do all of that correctly, I think I stand a good chance into Space Marines, but on the whole, if you're a Space Marines player and you know Space Marines as well as I know Guard, you're still going to have the advantage.
3: Now we're going to get into the prognostication uh, portion. The uh, question for you, sir, is what do you think, uh, and you can just do factions here, what do you think the composition of the top eight is going to be? I think we talked about this on Chapter Tactics, but I'll lob it out to you again.
6: We did. I still think that uh, the average number, I expect, is five Space Marines, at least one Eldari. Um, I would have said one Tau, but I know um, we had a Tau player pivot to Space Marines. But I think the other faction that can easily get in there is Chaos. The Chaos Super Faction is super good into Marines right now, and we have some strong Chaos players who are showing up. So I think it's going to be five plus Marines, so let's call it four to six. Uh, at least one Eldar, at least one Chaos, and then the rest is a mystery. Maybe the rest is uh, is is the man right here, and uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see.
3: I, a lot of people are reluctant to count you out, which I love. It's just a testament to the the mad respect you got out there. So, what re- who 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 do you give respect to? What would you say, not counting yourself here? Who do you think is going to win the Las Vegas Open twenty twenty?
6: <sighs> the one I'm most worried about, honestly, is John Lennon. Uh, I saw his performance at SoCal, very impressed with how he did. Um, He is one to look out for this year. So I think that he understands how Marines are supposed to be played, and he's also a very solid player. Uh, So you'd have to take any game versus him very seriously. So for that reason, he would be my pick to get at least to the top eight, possibly win the whole thing.
3: John Lennon, he's he's an... Fantastic pick and a wonderful guy and uh, would be super deserving of it if he did pull it off. So great pick. Um, That, that is the end of my, my list of questions. Nice and efficient. Do you have anything you'd like to add before we uh, wrap it all up?
6: The LVO is definitely a special event. If you haven't been, I'd really encourage you to go. I know a lot of people are going to drop out at the last minute. So I fully expect that there will be spots that are not taken. Otherwise, I know I'm going to have a blast, and I can't wait to see everyone there. Yeah, it's going to be really wonderful. You got anything you want to plug? Any, any regular shows that you're on, hint, hint? Just a Chapter Tactics with PDPab himself. Um, I definitely have some ideas on where to take that podcast in the future that I want to share with Pablo. So no spoilers wonderful. yet, but uh, we're hoping to take that podcast to the next level and turn it into something useful for every level of play and competitive 40K.
3: I think it's been, it's been so awesome um, having you join the show, uh, along with Scary too. It's been a really, really great addition to it, and I'm, I'm happy that I still get to come hang out every now and again. So it's wonderful to get to talk to you live via the Internet, and it'll be wonderful to see you in person in a couple of days. It's coming up fast. And uh, thank you so much for your time. This was a great interview. Thank you. You too.
2: Tournament News. This is Colin. This is Mitch. This is Chuck. And we're from the Best in Faction podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center, where one host has a really strange nickname, and the other one's called The Falcon.
3: Oh, that joke never gets old. Not what, even once. And you know what also doesn't get old? Two hour and 20 minute episodes of 40K Stat Center.
4: Hey, at least I only had to talk for like seven of them.
3: That's right. You know, uh, that was a that was a, I'm exhausted, personally, but I got to talk to all kinds of cool people, and plus Pete, uh, so that's never a bad day at the office. Um, As we are uh, wrapping up this recording, both of us are going to be boarding planes and flying to Las Vegas uh, to begin our 40K Stat Center coverage, which hopefully you guys will be joining us on. Um, And for everyone who's going to the LVO, well, we just provided you with two hours plus of incredibly quality content to keep you company while you make that trek. Pete, will you, will, will you be listening to an episode of 40K Stat Center this week? This could be a rare rare moment for you.
4: Uh, no, I refuse. Even, uh, I mean, that being said, I might listen to the interviews as long as you timestamp them appropriately. I may <laughs> just uh, clue in to hear what these guys had to say. Uh, but in reality, I'm really excited uh, to be going to Las Vegas. Uh, my plane board's in nine hours, so I'm going to hit the sack here very shortly. And... Uh, On my plane ride, I plan on finalizing all these super cool stats about the event. Hopefully I'll be able to uh, create a little article to post on Frontline Gaming uh, website, if you guys are interested, with a couple graphs and some other things. Uh, More importantly, I'll be able to use this data when the event's over, so we can kind of track unit efficiencies and all sorts of really neat info from the LVO. And guys, if you're going to the LVO and you happen to see me wandering around, Val is trying desperately to get me into some kind of bird costume, We'll see if I allow it. Um, But yeah, feel free to say hello. Just don't make it super awkward. I'm okay with it being a little awkward.
3: Oh, it's always quite a bit awkward when you sneak up on a falcon. And that's just fine. Pete, you got anything else to say? Bye-bye.
2: This has been 40K Stats Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stats Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and Competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP.